Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Jersey. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, Here's Mike Gill. He with the ball after a steal. Joel drives it down the lane. Left hand layup. It's up and good. 70 points for a B. 133 to 118. Court lane drive. Left hand layup. A 70 point game for the Sixers. Star Joel and B. You heard it right here on 97.3 ESPN. Tom again is on the call as Joel Embiid has a historic night last night. More points than any other player in a single game in Sixers history. A 70 spot for one Joel Embiid. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Henning producing today's show. You out there. What's up, everybody? Sixers beat the Spurs last night, but it was all Embiid who absolutely, I mean, he was toying with Victor Wambanyama last night. Uh, didn't seem to be a fair fight. Poor kid's a beanpole, man. Needs to put on a little weight. Reminds me a lot of Sean Bradley with a lot more skill. So small. And B was toying with the kid last night. But he is toying with everybody everywhere. That guy hits the nail at the elbow of the foul line. And he can hit in just a variety of ways. What we are watching with Joel Embiid is truly epic. It's truly special. And I guess the question is, is Joel Embiid doing enough right now for you to buy into the Sixers on another level? On the anniversary of Kobe Bryant's 81-point game, he did that against the Raptors in 2006, Joel Embiid last night scored 70. Now, not quite 81, but an epic night for scoring. Bryant 81-06, and last night Embiid was 70. And by the way, Carl Anthony Towns had 62 in the loss for the T-Wolves last night. Embiid, though, what he is doing on the heels of being named the Eastern Conference Player of the Week, he had 24 points in the first quarter last night. Think about that. In the first quarter of the game, he had 24 points. He also tied a record for the most points in a uh, period when he had... Uh, 12 in an overtime period this year. He had 24 in the first, 25 in the second, 29 in the third, and 24 in the sixth. Those are his career highs in each individual quarter, and he has a 12-point overtime. So what Embiid did last night, the 24 points in the first quarter, it's the most points he ever scored in a quarter. The 70 points is the most points ever scored for a sixer in any particular game. But he just had an epic night all around last night at halftime he had 34 points and 10 rebounds at halftime by the end of the third quarter last night right he entered the fourth quarter last night at the end of the 30 at 59 
He is the first player in NBA history to ever score 70 points with 15 rebounds and five assists in a game. He scored 70 points in the fewest minutes ever played in a game. He becomes the third center to ever do what you watched last night. The others were David Robinson, who did it in 1994, and Wilt Chamberlain did it six times. He is the third player in NBA history to have 70 points and 15 rebounds. I just told you he's the only one ever to do 70, 15, and 5, but he's the third player to do 70 and 15. That's Wilt and Elgin Baylor. And he scored the most points against the Spurs ever. The previous high was 61 by James Harden, ironically enough. You know, Embiid right now is playing on another level. He was the MVP of the league last year, and he's gotten better. But I guess the biggest question with Joel Embiid is and remains when push comes to shove has he done enough? Is you Are you watching a guy right now, my friends? Are you watching a guy right now that you have changed your level of trust in? When you watch that game last night, are you saying, this guy is unstoppable? He has elevated his offensive game. There's no question about it. He is a better offensive player than he was in any of his previous seasons. He is a much more dangerous player he is a much more sophisticated player. He has more to the arsenal. Is that enough? Is that enough for you to buy in that Joel Embiid can be the best player on the best team? I mean, what he's doing right now is epic. I mean, it is unbelievable. You know, there's many times throughout the course of an 82-game season where Embiid has a night, and the next day I come on the air and I say, I would lose 70 games again to be able to get Joel Embiid. Last night's one of those nights. And you're playing against the Spurs, who are an awful team. But it's not even the fact that the Spurs are so bad. He knows he's up against Wambayama, so he's got that element to it. He wants to kind of prove a point and kind of show that kid who's boss maybe a little bit. But it's also how he does it. It's how he does it. You know, it's one thing if you're Shaquille O'Neal or Wilt Chamberlain and you're just dunking on everybody because you're the biggest guy out there and they can't stop you, right? The way that he scores from where he's scoring, he is seven foot two, but he's scoring like a perimeter player. Like he's not getting all of these buckets by jamming the ball in the paint. He actually has to be efficient in his scoring the way that he does it sometimes. I mean, he took 41 shots last night. 41 shots. Now, a little bit towards the end, I think they were just kind of feeding him the ball. But still, as he's being fed the ball, he shot 41 times and shot over 50% from the field. Think about that. And as they're feeding him the ball and trying to get him to this number, he still has to make the bucket. And it's not like he's just dribbling through the lane and laying the ball in like a layup line. He still has to connect, and he's pulling up from that foul line. And that foul line jumper has become absolutely surgical. It's unstoppable almost, the way he shoots from that elbow. In 37 minutes, he took 41 shots. He made 24 of them. He got to the line 23 times. He made 21. 
That's where Joel Embiid is truly the most difficult guy in the NBA probably to defend. Is if you foul him, he's going to make his free throws, 21 of 23. If you step off of him, he's going to take that foul line jumper. If you double him, he had five assists last night. His assist numbers are up. And the way that they are using Embiid this year, I know everybody in years past, I haven't heard a whole heck of a lot of get your butt down on the block this year. Because the way they're using him and the two-man game between him and Maxi right now, I mean, you can watch the game and call out what's coming. Embiid sets the pick. There goes uh, uh, Maxi. There's the switch. Give it back to Embiid. Now he's staring down a helpless defender. I mean, it's like one of those um, Animal Kingdom television shows where the poor animal is being stared down by the lion and the lion's like really you think you're getting away from me that's Embiid staring at the poor defender you think you got a shot here bro you got no shot you want to come at me I'll blow past you you want to walk off me a bit I'll pop one in your face you want to come midway I'll put the ball on the floor I stutter step and I'll pull up from that foul line and you ain't stopping me and if you want to foul me go for it I mean, you are out of options in defending Joel Embiid at this stage of his career. What he is doing right now is unparalleled by any player in the league. He dominated the game last night, and it almost came so easy for you, for him that you might not be impressed. Is that fair to say? That it became so easy for him, you almost left not impressed. I was watching the game with my girlfriend last night, and as he's at 60 and 61, I mean, I, I, as the number, her jaw was dropping, watching what he was doing. And I am always so amazed. And keep the text messages coming, 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. Cause I want you to tell me whether you believe that Embiid is good enough to take this team to a title the way he's playing right now. I need to hear it from you guys out there because I got into a conversation on Twitter this weekend or X or whatever you want to call it. And it was about the Stan Van Gundy stuff. And Van Gundy went in, and I think what he was trying to say, and he didn't do it very well, was basically, if you get this in bead, you can win a title. And I want to know if you guys believe what it what 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 he was saying. Because the answer for most Sixers fans is, I'll believe it when he's healthy. So if he's healthy and he's this guy, do you believe the Sixers can win a championship? 609-403-0973. Text me there. Um, my girlfriend asked me last night, Embiid scored 70. Did anybody else do anything? Yes, Maxie had 18. Uh, Harris had 14. And then other than that, you had a bunch of this, that, and the other things. But what Embiid did last night... You know, that game, it seemed like it was in the balance. Like, it seemed like the Sixers kind of had it. But the Spurs just, like, kind of hung around and didn't go away. And they kind of, like, there was a point it was, like, 120 to 109. And there was, like, three minutes left in the game. And I'm, like, kind of, eh, this kind of feels, like, dirty. Like, get him off the court. And, like, you're in this kind of weird situation where he's kind of on his way to this record. But at the same time, did it feel like they were almost, like, uh, I don't know. Were they like rubbing it in on the Spurs a bit? I, I, but the game was still close. Like it was still kind of there, but it was a weird feeling. I, I kind of like had this weird feeling on like 
Should they get him off the floor? Are they like kind of rubbing it in on the Spurs? I don't know. It was a weird dynamic in the game last night. But in B, like they had him close that game out. And here's the big question with the fact of this. We keep wondering, is Embiid the guy? Is Embiid the guy? Can he be the guy? You're watching a different type of scorer right now than the Embiid we've seen in the past. Yeah, he last year he could hit the elbow jumper, and he does the jab step. But it's almost automatic now. But what he has added is, here's the problem with Embiid in the playoffs. If he gets doubled and tripled, is he going to turn the ball over? Is that going to be something in the playoffs? Like right now, fine, you're playing the Spurs on Monday night in January. I mean, it's not even a Tuesday in February yet. I can't even get to that point. We're only in January. I mean, the Spurs aren't sending these elaborate doubles at him and triples at him. When that happens, has Embiid elevated his offensive awareness enough to be able to, A, pass out of that double or triple, see it coming, or does he have an answer for it? You know, in years past, he tries to put the ball on the floor. They steal it from him. He goes falling all over the place. He ends up getting elbowed in the head, kneed in the face, and then he's hurt the rest of the things. I mean, Embiid still has to show that he has the on-court awareness, and he had it last night. He had one turnover in the game last night. He had five assists. I thought the most impressive number, there's two impressive. Forget 70. 70's unbelievable. 70's unbelievable. But my man had nine offensive rebounds last night. He had 18 rebounds in all. Joel Embiid, for the size of that man and the presence he has on the floor, he should be getting 12 to 15 rebounds by putting his pants on in the morning. He has to be more dominant on the glass. And 70 and 18, I know that's a lot to ask. But the 18 boards is a number that I was really happy to see last night. So I want to throw this question out there for you guys. All right? Give me your thoughts on Embiid, 609-403-0973. If you were listening to yesterday's show, Ryan and I were at Ocean Casino as we are every Monday. Ryan is on his laptop, and I notice he has it open looking at tickets for the game. And I said, you're going to go to the game tonight. And he looks at me, he says, I'm thinking about it. You want to go? And I said, yeah, maybe. And then we kind of forgot about it. So now this is the second time in my life that I have discussed going to a sporting event that I now regret that I did not go to. So which of these sporting events would you have rather been at is it the Joel Embiid 70-point game which sets an NBA, or excuse me, a Sixers record? But we've only seen a game of this magnitude like three times, 70 and 15. That's it. So would you have rather been at that game? The other game that I talked about going to but did not go, and I don't remember why, it happened in 2003. A friend of mine, actually, we were roommates at the time. It was a college roommate of mine. He moved here. We lived together. Uh, there was a house of like three of us that lived together over in Ventnor. We were talking about going to the Phillies game. It was in April of 20, uh, 2003. And I think the problem was it was a little cold that day, right? So we talked about going to the game. It's like a Sunday afternoon, one of those like Sunday afternoon games. Phillies, Giants. All right, I'll never forget. Phillies Giants. Millwood throws a no-hitter. 
and we didn't go to the game. So what game would you be more remorseful for missing? Is it a 70-point NBA game or the Major League Baseball no-hitter? And by the way, votes are coming in at Mike Gill Show on Twitter. Josh, what do you think the voting is right now? I will tell you this. Okay, let me ask you this. Do you think the voting's close? I think it might be close. Do you think it's close or a blowout, like within 10%, or do you think it's like 80-20? I think it's within 10%. Okay, so you think this is actually a tough thought for the people? I think there are some people who really would love to go watch a no-hitter, yeah. All right, so 2003, I was supposed to go to the Millwood game. I end up not going. He throws a Mm no-no. Last night, Ryan and I, now I don't know that we really firmly Talked about this. Like, I saw him looking at tickets online. His laptop was open. I got a glance. I saw he was looking at tickets. I said, are you going to go to the game? He says, I might. You want to go? And I was kind of like, ah, maybe. That might have been like 3.30 in the afternoon. Well, by 6 o'clock, you know, the show's over. We're kind of like, all right, I got to get out of here. Time to go home. I got stuff to do. And kind of forgot that we even talked about going to the game. But it was discussed to the point that somebody tweeted at us last night saying they hoped we went to the game because it was an epic (laughs) night. So which game would you have rather been to? A baseball no-hitter or an NBA 70-point game? What do you got? So my position, because we talked about this a little bit earlier, because you put the poll up a couple hours ago, Mike, and my position is the Joel Embiid seven-point game is something that does not happen very often. No, I chronicled it earlier. It's one of the rare feats in NBA history. A 70-15 and 15 night, right. by the way, he had 18, has only happened three times right. in history. And what he did last night has never happened. Right. 70 points, 18 rebounds, five assists. It has never happened. So you saw true history in that you saw the highest scoring game by a 76er ever. Right. So to me, I would choose that because I feel like there's a no-hitter every year. Like, no, I'm not saying a no-hitter is not insignificant, but to me, I've I've seen no-hitters on television. I've never seen this. Ah, uh, but I will say, life. okay, so I'm glad you said that. You said I've seen it on television. I have been to a no-hitter, and it is electric. Now, it's got to be a no-hitter by the starting pitcher. It's not one of these Fugazi combined, combined blah, blah, jobs. Blah, yeah. I was at, now, it was the playoffs. I was at the Halliday no-hitter. But that place, when you know it's happening and the place is packed, it's electric, man. You want to be there. But You're did like, the playoff game amplify it? I don't know. I've never been to another no-hitter. That's, that's the why only I'm no-hitter. Well, that's the only one I can compare it to. That's the only no-hitter I've been to was that Roy Halliday, uh sticks it to the Reds, shoots, jumps over the bat, fires it down to first base, and, you know, the rest was history. But, but a 70-point yeah. NBA night is a, a heater, man. I'm going to tell you. I was at Jimmy Butler scoring a 50-burger against the Sixers. You know what it's like to watch a guy score 50? You feel that literally he's the only guy on the court scoring. Embiid scored 70. Think about that. He scores 70. I was at the night where Butler scored 50. And by the way, that game went to overtime. He needed overtime to get to 50. I was at a game. It was Kobe's last game in Philly. 
I don't remember how many points he scored in that game. Maybe you could look this up for me. Mm-hmm. It was Kobe's last game in Philly. He started that game on a burner. Like, he scored, like, the first, I want to say, like, 10 points. Now, I don't think he had, like, this huge scoring night. But I was at that game, and you're like, this is his last time in Philly. And you felt he was on his way to something special. And that game, like, so there's a handful of NBA games I've been to where the guy had an awesome scoring, like a, like a run. I don't know when, I don't remember specifically, like if I don't remember, I don't think he had like a historic night, but I think he got off to a, like an unbelievable start. He, he had 20 points in the game. But how did he start the game? That's different. The first quarter, I, I felt like he scored like the first 10 points. See, like he didn't have a huge scoring night. That's what I'm saying. Like, so it wasn't that memorable, but, I remember him getting off to a great start and that feeling of the crowd of like, dude, Kobe's going to do something special. He had tonight. 13 points in the first quarter. There you go. So he had a, a good start to the game. Yeah, 13 and you're like 13. points were in the first quarter. Exactly. So you get 13 points to start the game off. You're like on a, like a 50 five, pace. He was five for 10 shooting. Yeah. He, he got off to a blazing start. So we're like, dude, is this a night that Kobe's going to score 50? So, uh, let me know. I see the text board is on fire right now. 609. 403-0973-609-403-0973. All right. Two things on the table for you. Plus, we'll get into the Eagles as well. All right. One, is this Joel Embiid's time? Do you find, do you finally trust him? In other words, if he gets to the playoffs and he's this guy right now, he's this version, healthy, he doesn't have gastroenteritis. He doesn't have a broken face. He doesn't have a welding mask on. He doesn't uh, have a sprained MCL. What else has he dealt with over the years? And did, I, did I forget anything? I feel like he's had an orbital bone, uh, orbital bone fracture. A couple of those. He's had two of those. He had the welding mask on in the series against the... Uh, that was the most ridiculous thing ever. I mean, the guy played a game, Dark a Knight. series with a welding mask on. Dark Knight, man. Crazy. Um, if he is 100% Joel Embiid, and this is the guy you're getting, do you finally trust that he can get them out of the second round and potentially even a championship? And if you could go to a game, is it the 70-point NBA game or an MLB no-hitter? Because I had a chance to go to a no-hitter, and I passed on it, and now I regret it. And then last night, I could have gone to that game. We talked about it. We didn't do it. And now I regret it. So which game would you rather be at? The NBA 70-pointer or the Major League Baseball no-hitter? I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, 229 Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm Mike Gill. Colin Thompson NFL free agent tight end, not for long media. He's a fan of all sports, though, so I'll ask him the question 
that I started. He's a big hockey guy, by the way. Flyers tonight. You can listen to the game against Tampa on 97.3 ESPN. Flyers have obviously uh, turned their uh, fortunes around a bit. But uh, last night, Joel Embiid, 70. All right? So we talked yesterday. Ryan and I were talking about, we're doing the show at Ocean. We said, maybe we should go to the game. Pick, playing Victor Wambayama, blah, blah, blah. We end up not going to the game. Embiid scores 70. Historic. Place is crazy. 2003, Colin Thompson. Me and my buddy talked about going to a Phillies game. Millwood pitches a no-hitter. So, would you rather be at a Major League Baseball no-hitter or a 70-point historic NBA game? Wow. I would say a no-hitter or a complete game because you know you're going to win. The team will win. But your best player could drop 70 you still could lose. Now, I'm sure the percentage isn't too high on that. But it's a great question, Mike, but I would probably say some sort of Feet on the mound, it includes more people than scoring 70. Because there were some times last night, early in the game, I don't watch a lot of Sixers, but I flipped the game on. It was on NBA TV, not a lot going on. No more Monday Night Football. Sadly, the season's winding down, obviously, four teams left. And popped the game on, and he was forcing the ball a lot and doing really well in the first quarter. And I'm like, all right, you know, this is the NBA. 24 I, I points like- in the first quarter, by the way. Yeah. There were some guys open that I thought he could have dished to, but he wasn't. So good for him. He had a huge night. He's a stud, man. He's an absolute beast. I've seen him out twice in public, uh, gallivanting around Philly in my day. And he is massive. And he's super nice. And we were at a bar. He doesn't drink. Mm-hmm. At least he didn't at the time. And he was down there with his like group of folks. So there's probably about four or five people with him. And everybody who came up to him, they kind of escorted him out of the area, but we were the group of four people that didn't go up to him, and we ended up having like a private area with Joel's people. They bought us all a round of drinks. Joel just played video games in the back the whole time. We were nice. in like a barcade. And they were super nice, so I'm a big fan, and uh, he well, was really gracious to, uh, gracious to us. So we asked the question on Twitter, at Mike Gill Show, and right now it is pretty close. I'm pretty surprised. It is 55% one way. 44% the other way. So I'll let you try to think which one is winning, but uh, hold that Probably thought. basketball because it's recently. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I'll, I'll reveal the numbers at the end of the conversation here. But I want to get oh. and pick your brain a little bit here. The Eagles, this whole situation. I want to first say from you, how do you, if you're a player and you're watching all this happen, how are you handling if you're an Eagle player watching – is the coach getting fired? Should he be fired? Is the coordinator getting fired? Should he be fired? The defensive coordinator, you knew he was gone. But this has got to be an odd situation if you're a current player on that team. Yeah, not that long ago, Mike. They probably should have beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, right? Like, and oh, and people- by the way, not that long ago, they beat the Chiefs on the road this year. Yeah, Bills at home. So, Mike, I, to take it into these situations, I've been a part of them where there's been firings inside of a situation. Joe Brady got fired from Carolina inside of a season. Matt Rule got fired inside of a season. I've also been there where you get fired in the offseason. General managers, coaches. Uh, it's very weird. And you have an opinion as a player because you know what goes on. And I bet you 75% of the players agree on certain things. Like, okay, this guy's not qualified for the job. Or this guy's plenty qualified, and we're just not playing well enough. Which I think that's the case with the Eagles on a lot of those situations, personally. 
Like, Eagles ran the same offense last year. It's the same thing. And they had a lot of success. Players didn't play that well this year. Defensively, remotely the same defense. Really. Like, at the end of the day, like a couple things here and there, a little different scheme, but like, same defense. Same cats out there too, really. So, at the end of the day, like, players didn't play well this year. I know fans don't like that because you can't quantify that. You can't put a total on that. But with a coach, you're like, hell, their record's this. Players didn't play well. And they'd be the first to admit it. A lot of those guys in the room. So, I think the Eagles are, you're going to see some massive roster changes. You already see some coaching changes, mm-hmm. but the roster is going to make a big change too. Um, obviously, Brian Johnson, he was up for head coaching jobs, and he yep. is the coordinator who's about to get fired. He then does get fired. Um, mm-hmm. Some reporting coming out that some of the players are not happy with how this is being handled. Can you understand why? Well, there's my point, right? Like, there could be guys in that room that are like, no, no, he's not the problem. Right? We don't know what the problem is. It could be well. Let me ask you. You know, okay, something to do with you've played in the in the league. Obviously, how would it how would it sit with a coordinator if he had to call someone else's offensive plays? Colin Thompson, I'm Mike Gill. This is my offense. I want you to call my plays, not your plays that you design, not your offense. I want you to run my offense and call the plays. Like, how does that work? Yeah, that's where I was getting at. That there's there's always when there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, the buck stops with you know the higher ups and the highest paid. But you don't know where the buck stops really when you have a lot of cooks in the kitchen, Mike. So sometimes it could go well, right? If things are going well, which happened before, it was Sirianni's offense and Steichen called the plays, right? And now it's Sirianni's offense, Sirianni's offense, and uh, Johnson was calling the plays, right? So I, I think. I just think, Mike, there's, yeah, of course there's going to be some rub. But at the end of the day, like, I don't think Nick wanted to fire those guys. Like, I really don't. Because I just think if you watch the games and you know, like, people are missing tackles. People aren't getting to their passer. We're not doing well on third down. Like, yeah, the coaches are a problem. I, I get that. But I disagree with that philosophy. Like, the players did not play well. And, like, it's not a fun thing to hear, but it's true, I think. And that's not me, like, calling any of those guys out. I play with a lot of them and know them all. And, like, the reason why Coach Rule got fired in Carolina, we had ten, plenty of stud rosters. Like, Baker Mayfield was our quarterback. Look at Baker now. We've had Teddy Bridgewater, and he did well. Sam Darnold showed a lot of strength with us, too. C-Mac, like, but we sucked. Players didn't play well. And I just think at the end of the day, like, you can have all the coaching you want, but you got to go out there and block and tackle. Football's pretty simple. Okay, well, then let's look at the talent on the offense. Let's start there. If yeah. you were to look at the Eagles' offense and say there's a weakness – and they need to address it this offseason. Where would that be? To say Nowhere. to say the players are the problem. That's a great question, right? I did say the players are a problem. I don't think necessarily the calling of the plays were the issue. I just think the overall scheme of it. I've said it before. I think like Jalen's graduated from the, the Kansas City offense, the, the Buffalo offense, where you can play in the gun and you gotta be hero. I think he needs to be more under center, more Brock Purdy, more Kirk Cousins. And that's fine. He, even though I think he's in that upper category, Jalen, but I think he needs to play more like them and they need to put him in those positions. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't personally, I don't know where you dress changing players offensively for the Eagles. If Jason Kelsey comes back, which I think there's still a possibility, a big one in that, um, 
You is don't that based center. on him drinking out of the bowling ball, jumping no, out of the normal. suite? It's um, just, just another day at the office. Really I mean, when boy. you saw him do that, like I said, I tweeted this out. Has there ever been an active player or newly retired, which he has not retired officially yet, has there ever been an active player from another team in the stands of an actual NFL game partying uh, to that? I don't even know that there's ever been a guy who just goes and sits in the crowd at another game. Mike, they're guarantee- I guarantee you there has been several, but they're not sitting in Taylor Swift's box, right? They're not hanging out you up there. You don't think – wait a second – you don't think if Taylor Swift wasn't there and Jason Kelsey jumped out of his suite that that would, wouldn't have been? <laughs> but I'm saying if you're a nor- if you say you're a Pro Bowler or say you're like a really good player in the league, not a Pro Bowler. Let's let's just say uh, who would be for the Eagles? Let's just say Kevin Byard, right? Kevin Byard's at the game and he's shotgunning beers and he's having a great time and they're not scanning to him in the crowd. Probably. Well, they probably don't even know who like recognize him. That's what I'm saying. Well, he's still Kelsey's so recognizable. Correct. So back to your question, listen, I just think they've graduated from that offense. It's time to get under center, run at play action pass, really draw linebackers up, have Jalen play to his strengths instead of be Superman. You saw when Buffalo got away from uh, Josh Allen being Superman. Like they had a huge successful run. Joe Brady changed the offense. We're going to run the ball more. We're going to get under center, play action pass. Diggs is not going to have these crazy games anymore. It's going to be more of a normal situation. Yeah. And you saw their success. Oh, I, I I agree with you there. I I bought more into the bill at the beginning of the season. I said I think their window has closed. They don't run the ball at all. The whole thing changed when they decided to get Cook involved in the game. Yep, in the offense lines. Their offense lines very good. Yeah. They're very they're built just like the Eagles, like the Bills offensively. Like really great offensive line. They got great star players on the outside. So I wouldn't change anything in the offense. Like defensive wise, you're going to get an updated scheme from. Somebody else, but at the end of the day, like unless you bring in a cover zero Brian Flores type defense where they're bringing pressure every play and it's boom or bust now, like it's either a touchdown for seventy or it's a tackle for loss or interception. It's still the same stuff. They're going to run four or five down front. They're going to run cover two, some man to man, and cover three. Like what can you do on defense? Your players got your your dudes got to step up on defense. That's what defense is all about. Is my best players playing their best at the right time? So when you probably dress the linebacker position, they're going to dress the entire defensive backfield. I think the front the front's really good. You got a sign coming back for another year. I think Sweat's coming back. The whole interior. Does Cox and Graham come back? So the roster's great, other than probably a couple positions groups. But well, be fine. yeah, I mean the Bradbury situation with his contract and the way he played, you're going to have to address whether or not you want to give him another year at that price. You can't get out of the deal. If you do, you're going to be eating a lot of dead money. Slay, step back a little bit. Now he's got some injury. You you got two older corners that you're now hoping bounce back from kind of years where it looked like they both took a step back. You'd probably need a slot because Maddox, I think, is done uh, and a lot of injuries there. You need two new linebackers and probably two new safeties. And and do you trust Howie with the draft and what he's going to do in free agency? Yes, of course you do. So I'm sure he's going to fill that void. He's going to make moves on draft day. He's going to go get players. Those players, again, that he drafted last year or two years ago, these big defensive stars out of Georgia, they'll have a whole other year to get better and still be on rookie deals. All right, let me ask so, you a question regarding the defense then. They yep. had John Gannon, who's kind of from that Fangio tree. They went to yep. Sean Desai, 
similar Fangio. Would you, with the way the offenses in the NFL are starting to go, would you get away from that scheme and try to find somebody with a different mindset? There's been names mentioned. Wink Martindale, Ron Rivera's name has been brought up, and uh, Mike Caldwell is another name that's come across the wire. Yeah, so it's either to me, it's either you're running some sort of base defense like you're going to see with Seattle with the cover three look and a safety down plane in the box ready to take your head off, right, Cam Chancellor days. Or you're going to play some sort of Vic Fangio style, which has big edge setters, which has a ton of success, like tons. And that's exactly the Eagles last year. This year, listen, say what you want about the Eagles defense, but like, I don't know, when Sean Desai was the D.C., what, they only lose two, three games? So, like, yeah, I know the defense wasn't perfect, but was that, like, Jimmy's and Joe's or X's and O's? Like, whoa, okay, what is that? And then secondly, or thirdly, you'll see, like, Wink Markendale, Brian Flores. You're seeing these high pressure, cover zero, confuse the quarterback stuff. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if the Eagles go with that route where you go for a Wink Martindale. You go for these guys that are going to bring a ton of pressure now. So Eagles fans, hold on. You wanted it. But you're going to have guys literally playing man-to-man coverage with no safety help over the top. It's pure cover zero, meaning no safety, a little inside man-to-man coverage, and you can't be ripping these corners when they get beat because they're not playing normal defense. Like you're on an <laughs> island. It's not Darrell Revis out there. So yeah, um, and you've got like, James Bradbury who's probably lost two steps, and Slay who's getting older. They'll probably restructure. I mean, how he's going to be created with them? Right, like he's going to find a way to either restructure or move on from him or trade him or whatever. So, by the way, Kevin Byer does have another year left. They probably can. I think if they, it's either post June first or something that they can get a fourteen million dollar relief there. So we'll see. DeAndre Swift's going to be interesting because he's a free agent. We know they don't want to pay the running back. No, they don't. And I think with DeAndre, I think. My gut just tells me there was something more there why he wasn't getting any more carries, whether he was on a pitch count because of injury. I have no idea. It's pure speculation. But, like, you can't be that good and show that success and then knock at the ball as much as he did. Yeah. Well, or I'll, didn't. I, we'll see because I think the Kelsey thing is interesting because if you have to move Jurgens over, then you have to figure out, you know, do you want to take someone in the draft to play that position? Or if Kelsey comes back, do you feel like, all right, we can – Hold off on that position because they do have three picks in the top 65. They have, yeah, and by the way, the comp picks just got announced uh, today. They got an extra third and three extra fifths. That's a wow, lot of so capital. Brutal. That's a ton. That's what I'm saying. Like, I wouldn't be worried about the Eagles roster. Yes, of course, there's going to be some position groups, but that's every year you're looking at a position group and you're like, okay, we got to flip it over. Yeah. Last year, they paid the DBs. This year, they're going to have to figure that out. Like, that's just normal business. That's yeah. normal business at any job. So it's great points, Mike. I think, you know, the one thing for the Eagles moving forward is, like, what's our identity going to be on offense? And what's our identity going to be on defense? And we're going to stick with it no matter what happens. And here we go. And it may, 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 may excuse me, it may make <laughs> Nick Sirianni look like a genius or a guy that's just – Lost touch. Colin Thompson. The Colin Thompson Show. Not for long media. Check out their social media platforms for more from Colin. And, of course, uh, this weekend is the championship games. Kansas City, Baltimore, Detroit, San Francisco. And you can hear them all right here on 97.3 ESPN. All right, brother. Have a good week. Thanks, Mike. Go Flyers. All right, man. Flyers tonight against Tampa Bay. You can hear that game right here on 97.3 ESPN. 
All right. So he had a lot of interesting things to say uh, regarding, you know, what's going on with this Eagles team and more. We'll talk more about that with McMullen in 15 minutes. I got your text messages. Lighten up my text board at 609-403-0973. Coming up next. It's this. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, we'll uh, hit the text board up, 609-403-0973. Do you finally believe in Joel Embiid after the epic performance? Not only last night, he has put on all season long. It is pretty apparent that his game has evolved to another level. He was the MVP last year, but he was disappointing in the playoffs. I know injury has constantly been a problem for him. But do you finally say, look, you get that guy there healthy? I'm buying in a hundred percent. Andrew in Summers Point says, no, I want someone better than Harris. So it's not an Embiid thing. It's the uh, surrounding cast that you seem to have a problem with. Dan in EHC said, Joel, the process Embiid has become Joel, the elbow Embiid. That's pretty funny, actually, Dan. I will give you two points. For that one right there. Uh, things are finally lining up. Embiid is playing out of this world. Maxi's an elite second option. The rest of the team knows their place and fills the gaps very well. Good text. I wish you left your name. Maxi, the elite number two option in the regular season. Can he be the elite number two option in a seven-game series where a team is game planning for you every night of the week? I think that question obviously will not be answered until we get to the playoffs. Uh, Mike, even if Embiid and the Sixers don't win a title, it's nights like last night where we get to watch him dominate, which makes the process worth it. Yes, I'd rather have a championship at nights like last night make it worthwhile. Amen to you. Uh, you didn't leave a name, but whatever your name is, I agree. I've said for years I would lose 70 games again so that I could watch Joel Embiid play his entire career with me rather than with somebody else. Uh, I want to win a championship. I also understand it's not feasible to do it every single year, but if you give me as many chances and as many wild rides as I possibly can get, I want to watch Joel Embiid every single game I get to. So I would do process over again if it tells me I can get Embiid. Now, Look, the Spurs have Victor Wambanyami, who was the number one pick in the draft, and they're not very good right now. Detroit's been awful for years. They have a lot of top picks on that team, not helping them out. Doesn't necessarily guarantee you anything, but if you told me I was getting Joel Embiid, I would lose 70 games again to get that guy. Uh, Mike says, JoJo is awesome. Philly don't take rebounds too seriously, though, especially on the offensive glass. They can't beat the Celtics Bucks. By the way, the Bucks just fired their head coach, Adrian Griffin, is out after half a season. He just took over for Mike Budenholzer. They fired Bud, brought Griffin in, and he just got fired moments ago. So the Bucks now have a new head coach. Uh, the text message from Mike says they can't beat the Celtics, Bucks, and now the new look heat by himself, though. Philly is still going to need more defensive help on the arc. 
and a real power forward and backup center that bangs for rebounds. I still would like to keep Harris, though. That's from Mike. Uh, by the way, the Heat did make a trade today. They added Terry Rozier for Kyle Lowry and a first-round pick. So teams are starting to make their little moves here. Not Mike Lowry. Not Mike Lowry. Mike Lowry. How was that? Solid. Okay. Uh, Glenn and Absekin, it was nice to see Sixers allow him to have a special night. I mean, they only won by 10, so you needed him out there to finish the game. If they were up by 30 in the fourth, do they keep him in the game? Teams sometimes don't let players have special nights. It was nice to see. And B was doing what he was paid to do, play basketball. It looks like Nick Nurse gets it, though, Glenn. He seems to, like, know, hey, he's going for this 30 and 10 streak. Let's leave him out there a little longer. I don't know that I specifically like that, but I agree. Last night... Uh, it was special. You could feel something was happening, and they played into it. So, good stuff out of them. When we come back, the blame game. Let's play the blame game with Johnny Mac. City. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. The land of confusion seems to be the Novacare complex. We will try to make some sense of it all. John McMullen, Birds 365, with the latest on the blame game for the Birds. Tomorrow, Nick Sirianni and Hallie Roseman will try to tell us how this all happened, where it's going, and what can we expect. What's the very latest on where the Eagles stand? John McMullen joins us now. This is a team that has a lot of questions, but more importantly today, John, they have made it official, right? They have fired Brian Johnson or whatever terminology they want to use, but Brian Johnson uh, is no longer with the organization? It's not official, but no, he's he's not. He's out. So uh, the Eagles haven't announced either technically officially, right. but uh, Would you anticipate um, you that know. that will happen tomorrow? Uh, definitely on Desai, um, and, and, and yeah, probably on Johnson. I, I don't think, obviously, because it's broken in so many places. I, I don't think they'll try to hide that. But you, you never know with this team. All right. And there could be, more, there will be more to come. So they fire Brian Johnson, or they're going to move on from Brian Johnson, or that will come out. Uh, but this is not his offense. So you wrote about this over at Sports Illustrated, the blame game. Do you look at this problems with this team? Brian Johnson, Nick Sirianni, Jalen Hurts. Do you have a pie chart for those guys? <clears throat> yeah, I do. And the, and the irony is that Brian is probably the least responsible uh, of the three uh, it's Nick's offense. He talks about it all the time. I, I, I put his latest, you know, I can't tell you how many times he's told me and other reporters since he's been here that this is his offense. It'll always be his offense as long as he's here. And it, it won't change if it's Shane or Brian or Kevin Petula or somebody else down the road. And that's going to be interesting to see who the next coordinator is because <laughs> You know, if he's completely taken uh, offensive autonomy along with defensive autonomy, what are we doing here uh, with Nick Sirianni as head coach? So uh, a lot of moving parts, but it's his offense. And, you know, Brian was coloring inside the line, so to speak. Uh, and, and the quarterback, obviously, 
uh, regressed pretty rapidly over that past seven, eight games. So uh, I think if you were going to put a pie chart together, it would be uh, Nick Sirianni and, and Jalen Hurts before Brian Johnson. But Brian's the easiest to move on from. And, you know, you can assign blame and kick him out and see what happens, I guess. Uh, any thought on the relationship between Hertz and Brian Johnson and him being removed, uh, how Hertz would handle that? Yeah, I mean, that's another part of this. Um, you know, sometimes I think the relationship was a little bit overblown, but uh, they were uh, certainly close from the perspective of of a typical relationship uh, obviously, Brian first met Jalen when he was four years old. Now, I think about that. I mean, he was in high school. So, yeah, I joked about that on Bird 365. I mean, what do you think? He's hanging out with a four-year-old. You probably see the kid at practice, tap him on his head, and you go on your way. <clears throat> so it wasn't like they were together for years and years and years. And the two times I, I always bring up the two times that Brian tried to recruit on Chandler Hurst in college, he didn't get him either time. So it's not like they spent all this time together before they came together in Philadelphia. Um, so I think it's a little bit overblown. And, you know, I think Jalen will be, understands his role. He said it uh, at cleanout day last week. He said owner's own uh Coaches coach and players play. So I think that'll be his philosophy, but um, it is something to keep an eye on. Uh, John McMullen, Bird 365 here. Um, you know, yeah, it, it and, uh, I believe it was uh, mentioned this morning that the, you know, the Eagles staff was not happy with Brian Johnson's dismissal. I mean, are you looking at a situation that this thing could still be a little rocky? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't think anybody's happy. I don't think Nick's happy. Um, you know, he's generally been very loyal. If you think about it, since he's been here, there's been very few changes on the coaching staff other than guys getting promotions and leaving on that account. And generally, um, he's promoted from within um, and tried to set up this sort of ecosystem where yeah, you're constantly replenishing from the people that he, he wanted around him. Uh, and now that's going to all change. The one exception and, and probably in hindsight was a bad decision. They probably should have just elevated Denard Wilson to be defensive coordinator, uh, instead of going outside, but they were, you know, too hyper focused on keeping the same scheme and. Uh, Vic Fangio recommended Sean Desai, and that was good enough for them. So uh, that was probably the one big mistake. Yeah, we're talking with John, of course, uh, getting ready for uh, this uh, presser tomorrow. Um, is there something, John, you want to learn tomorrow from these two that if you got the one and only question that you need to get answered tomorrow, what would that be? Yeah, I, I want to know how much um, – Nick has, and this is he being dictated to when it comes to those coaching staff. And he's going to get the question, um, whether it's from me or somebody else, but um, and I, I don't think we're going to get a forthright answer, but that's, that's the question I want answered because 
if he's not, I mean, you know, you could you could you could say this didn't work to Nick Sirianni if you're Jeffrey Lurie and Howard Roseman say we have to go in a different direction because it's a tough sell to the fan base. Although I've said in the past, I mean, they're going to show up no matter what. So I, I don't even buy into that. But if you're trying to sell it like that. And say, all right, you, you got to bring, you got to go outside. We need some new blood, but still let them pick the coaches. I guess that's okay. But if you're just dictating coaches to him, you're just pressing pause on the inevitable, and he's going to be gone sooner rather than later. So if that's your thought, Jeffrey Lewis should show the courage of his convictions, and he should have just fired the head coach and. Turn the whole thing over. Yeah, I know uh, not a lot of offensive names. We talked to you yesterday, but uh, now that Johnson is officially out, um, I don't know, do you feel like uh, this is another uh, – first off, in your mind, who hired Brian Johnson? Who was decision was that? I know you want to ask the question of who makes those decisions, but is he a Sirianni guy? Was he kind of given to him? I mean, no, how was he that? Was, he, he was brought the, – the way it was set up, Nick had certain guys that he brought along. Shane Steichen, Kevin Petullo, Jason Michael, uh, Jonathan Gannon would be in that camp, even though he was going to be here either way. But uh, obviously had a history with, with um, Nick um, – uh, and then there was a group uh, where what, what how it would go is if Nick didn't have a, a guy for a particular position, how he would find candidates, bring them to Nick. Nick would interview them, and then Nick would make the hire. And that's, you know, how he found Brian Johnson. Um, and, and, you know, as Nick went through the interview process, he hired him. So that's sort of how it went. So they both had a hand in it, but certainly Howie was responsible for putting him on on Nick's radar. Um, all right, so Brian Johnson obviously, um, you know, could be a gray spot for Sirianni in terms of that was his pick. You mentioned Petula. I think that was a guy that maybe if he had his choice, he would go to. But this time around, does the person coming in – have to run Nick's offense. Well, that's the most interesting part from everything Nick has said, and I kind of mentioned before. Yes, I mean from his standpoint, that that's the direct quote. But you think moving forward said, that that's going to be the case, or we obviously we don't know that. No, well, I say that's the thing to keep an eye on. I mean, there are certain guys, and and they're slowly getting weeded out. Tommy Reese. Uh, who's coming back to the NFL with Cleveland, the Alabama offensive coordinator, Notre Dame offensive coordinator. Nick is very close to him. He said, whenever you want to come, you can come to the NFL on his staff. Uh, he, he, he's in Cleveland now. Um, so he's out. Tim Bob Cooter, there was, um, uh, a sentiment. I think it was Mike Garofolo first put it out there. Um, now it seems like he's not going to be in the mix. Um, then you look at some other notable, um, Mike McCoy, perhaps. Uh, guys in-house would be Kevin, as you mentioned, and Jason Michael, but they're not going to get an opportunity because of the taint on this particular coaching staff. Um, 
And that leaves Frank, Frank Reich, and I have no idea where Frank is. I think Frank would be acceptable because of his reputation here, and and the Eagles grew to like him after trying to fire him in 2016, but that's another conversation. Jeffrey and Howie tend to forget those things. Um, I think they that would be acceptable to them. But uh, if it's not one of those names, and I'm sure I'm missing one or two. All right, let me, how about, how about like an Arthur Smith? Apparently they liked him before. He's getting a lot. I mean, does he jump back into coordinator? Does he still think he's a head coach? Would they have interest in that? Or would he be a guy that says, if I'm going there, I'm running my offense and I'm calling my plays? Well, Ed, that's the thing. I mean, there's a ton of guys. Um, but I'm saying if it's not somebody Nick is comfortable with, then you get a clear indication that it's being dictated to him. And if it's being dictated to him, again, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Then you have Jason Garrett on the sidelines, you know, who has no essential power. Ironically um, enough, the last game of that year, and I put this out on Twitter, the picture, I mean, Nick was doing a hell of a Jason Garrett impression. I mean, he was pulling that headset well, back and spitting like 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 a guy with no spit left yeah, in his mouth. You got to get the clap down. You got to get the clap. He didn't have the down. clap, but he had the spit down pretty good. He was pulling the headset back <laughs> and just kind of you know getting a quick little. And there was like no spit to come out because I mean he I felt like the nervous tick spit. Yeah, I, I I mean, and that's the problem with this whole situation. And I can't believe you know, they're gonna. I can believe, but I, I, you know, I think it'll be a disaster if they tell Nick, oh, to use your example, you got to bring in Arthur Smith and he's going to run the offense and you're just going to be not involved as CEO coach, but not involved and he's going to have final say. I mean, he might as well just write off next season because that ain't going to work. Yeah. But are, and are you surprised that Jeffrey Laurie, would allow this. Like, you know, you're walking like dead man walking into a season. Like, why would Jeffrey, like, that's why to me this is so bizarre because Jeffrey usually, okay, I made a mistake with Chip Kelly and you know what? I'm going to cut that mistake loose before we even get to the end of the year. But the fact that he would let Nick go into the year with these things possible. Now, I guess we don't know until they decide who they, who they want to hire. Yeah, I, yeah, and I'm very surprised if he goes down that route. But you know, he he has shown a history. I mean, the one thing, and I always say, and it's been over a quarter century, so we have a, a long sample size with Jeffrey Laurie. And by and large, he's been a very good owner when you compare him to other owners. So I, I'm not coming off that stance. But when expectations aren't met, he assigns blame. Whether I use scapegoating, use whatever. <laughs> Or do you want? Mm-hmm. He needs to assign blame. And he's assigning blame uh, to obviously Brian Johnson, Sean Desai, Matt Patricia. And he's decided to move forward with Nick Sirianni. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's just about, okay, I have to assign blame. And you got to get rid of these guys. But you can bring in who you want. Then I guess I'm okay with it. But if you start dictating, it's not going to work. John, did uh, looking back at the whole Desai thing, you wrote about this at Sports Illustrated, but did they really get this wrong, or was it as clear as day that he was the wrong hire? Well, I I think in hindsight he was the wrong hire, but 
you know, and I think ultimately, if you look at the first three seasons of Nick Sirianni, probably his biggest mistake is, is, and he said, you know, it's ironic because if you ask Nick, he always still tells this story about Larry Karras, his old college coach at Mount Union, when he was talking to him and uh, about getting a job there when he was just starting in coaching. And um, he, he starts, Larry Karras started asking him questions about, um, the type of offense he would run, and Nick started going into it, and he slammed his hand on the desk like Nick is wont to do now, and he said, you don't even know who the players are. Stop it. <laughs> and, and, and what he was saying is, you know, you, you, you don't just run a system. You look at the players you have and try to accentuate the strengths and build around the strengths of the players you have. Yeah, Paul Heyman. Which, by the way, I agree with a thousand percent, Larry Karras. So he always says that about the offense. The defense, he's been chasing this damn scheme since he got here. And it's in direct correlation to what he believes offensively. And by the way, he proved that because he changed the offense uh, during that two and five start when he was a rookie, when he said, you know what? We're trying to make Jalen Hurts, Phillip Rivers can't do that we got to build the offense around Jalen Hurts Mm -hmm. it was a very bright thing to do and he did it defensively they're just chasing this Fangio scheme and they were good with Gannon and so it was okay but then you start losing coordinators you lose uh, Nick Rollis you lose Denard Wilson you lose coaches you lose five starters they're chasing the same damn scheme it doesn't make any sense. So, uh, it, and 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 I said it's a one eighty from what he believes offensively. Yeah, so well, I'm looking that needs to change. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. See what ends up happening there. Um, I guess it has to be asked, but I think we know the answer is Sirianni. Is he safe? We did see Doug a couple of years ago have a presser. And then he was out, but it looked like they reversed it this year. They met with him first. But do you think that Sirianni is a hundred percent safe right now? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, And the only, you know, he could change his mind. I guess you know everybody's a human being, and he could wake up and say, you know what, Uh, there, this, this isn't worth it. I do believe he'd get another job pretty easily with his record, sixty-seven, you know, percent winning, sixty-six point seven winning percentage, three consecutive playoff berths. That's not exactly a common occurrence in the NFL. So, you know, the timing he might have to sit out. He probably doesn't want to do that, but um, you certainly don't want to walk away from seven million dollars. That's part of it. Um, but he's made him enough money at this point. Um, but yeah, from the Eagles' standpoint, they've made their decision. He's going to be the head coach, and um, you can debate it. And I would debate it if they're going to dictate um, his coaching staff. I would say, why do you want him? But they've already made that decision. Uh, John McMullen, tomorrow uh, we have a time on this yet? I know Josh asked you, but he didn't tell me if there was an answer. Um. No, it's early afternoonish, but it's not official. But it's going to be sometime 
early in the afternoon. All right. Uh, that's tomorrow. Roseman and Sirianni will have it covered right here on the Sports Bash. And if we learn new stuff, of course. Pre-game show. Mike Gill, Birds 365, 820. I'm booking you on it. Uh, tomorrow, 820. Tomorrow's my birthday, by the way. So, uh, do something oh, nice for me. Do something there nice. There we go. Yeah. I'll wear a Man. nice, I'll have a, tell Joe, is Jody with you tomorrow? Yeah. All right. I'll have a good t-shirt for him tomorrow. All right, sounds good. All right, man. And, and we'll, we'll be sure to have the cake ready for you. <laughs> Take care. Uh, John McMullen, everybody, Birds 365. Yes, I'll be on tomorrow morning at 8.20 a.m. to talk a little bit more. And, you know, we'll preview what's going to happen. But I'll tell you what, the names that are coming out uh, for offensive coordinator, you know, are not overwhelming so far. Like, I'm not like, oh, I got to get Frank Reich. He's the guy I want. I certainly am not in the camp of Jim Bob Cooter. I don't think he's terrible. But I do think, like, they need someone that maybe even has some head coaching experience in the event that it doesn't go well. Arthur Smith would be interesting. Uh, remember, Arthur Smith was the Falcons uh, head coach. He was also the Tennessee offensive coordinator with A.J. Brown. Now, they did have Derrick Henry, and they really ran the ball um, with, with Henry. And Brown was not as dominant a player in Tennessee. Now, you could ask why. Was it because they didn't use him all that as much because of the running game they had? Was it because Tannehill is the quarterback? I don't have the answer to that question. I didn't watch every although I did watch a lot of Titans games in those years because you know I love the Titans being home dogs although they weren't home dogs as much at that time no they weren't but it's still been your go-to one of your go-to bets over the years yeah I like those Titans teams though I was just going to ask you so do you think maybe then hiring Ron Rivera fills that head coach on the staff prerequisite could be on the defensive side of the ball like if you want to say hey we want to just make sure if this season gets off to a little sideways start um, we don't know the schedule yet, obviously, but let's say you get off to like a one in three start and it's ugly again. It's right. ugly again. Like, well, like we what? like I say one in three because it was ugly. And you still figured out a way to beat the Giants. But if you look like you did against the Giants on Christmas Day and lose three times after that and you still look like you did at the end of last year, you got to do something. Yeah. You can't let that continue. But at least if you have, like you said, a head coach on the staff, I, I think Ron Rivera makes sense because he. What he dealt with in Washington was ridiculous. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Joel Embiid, 70 last night. So has Joel Embiid's success so far made you change your outlook for the team this season? I'll ask Paul Hudrick from Liberty Ballers. Coming up next on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. This Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With Mike Gill. Keeping the fans entertained and happy. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Embiid, 17 rebounds. I think da-da-da, this is going to be on SportsCenter tonight. Here comes Maxi to Joel. Joel, top of the key. Another jumper straight away and in. And the crowd just basking, loving this performance by 
Embiid. 65, one of the greatest scoring performances in the history of this iconic Philadelphia 76ers franchise. The time that it kind of hit me, I thought, was the start of the third. That he, I think he had a a bucket and an and one, like, in the first minute. And I was like, wait a minute, he's already got, like, 30, whatever. And I was like, geez, that's a lot with a whole half to go. Right? It even seemed like, you know, he already had 34th half, so he's already at 39. And we just started. I was like, this is going to be a big, probably be a big number tonight. That was Nick Nurse last night. Tom McGinnis on the call, only on 97.3 ESPN down the shore. Paul Hudrick, I hope you were in the house last night. For one, Joel Embiid, an epic performance. You know, you've been to a lot of games. You've seen a lot of Joel nights. Uh, but that one right there uh, probably has to be all the way to the top. But not only is it at the top, it was how efficient he was in getting the 60 points that I thought was pretty interesting. For sure. I, I think it's funny, too, because a, a lot of the discourse we see about um, free throws and, you know, foul baiting and all that. And like the, the two funniest things that stand out are he would still have, he still would have had 50 points without free throws. Uh, we're close to it. And the other thing is too, I think what he showed you is when he gets a chance to go up against someone like Wembenyama, who's, listen, going to be a superstar. He's unbelievable. But you look at that frame and you look at Joel Embiid and that strength differential. And you saw him just flat out bully Wimbanyama. You, when that happens, when a team is it allows Joel Embiid to go one on one with a player like that, this is what he's capable of. So I mean, that's the difference. Is like I, I was a little surprised Popovich didn't he didn't really start selling out until later in the game, um, and then by that point, Embiid just had it going and just couldn't miss. So yeah, the the efficiency um, and really all year, Mike, he's he's been much more. He's been the, the way Nick Nurse describes it is attacking the front of the rim. Um, it's almost Giannis like in the way that he just will get the ball around the nail or the elbow, put his head down, and just go right to the rim. And he uses the thread of that mid range shot, which is like a layup at this point, um, to get that. Uh, and, and it's just his all around game. Uh, it, let's 70 points to 70 points. We already knew how great of a scorer he was. This was historically good, but it's just his all around game is at the best level it's ever been. Um, a lot of credit goes to Nick Nurse, and a lot of credit goes to Joel Embiid because he just continues to improve and continues to add layers and levels to his game. Uh, Paul Hunter, Liberty Ballers. Um, yeah, give us, in your mind, when you're watching him, how his game has evolved and changed this year. I mean, because last year, look, he wins the MVP. He's still a deadly, you know, shooter from the free throw. The net, you know, like he makes that mid-range. He was just deadly even last year. But what has evolved and taken him maybe to a level, Paul, and we want to get into this a little bit later, where people can maybe trust him even more? The biggest thing for me is is his quick Quicker decision-making. I mean, he'll still occasionally hold that ball for a pretty long time and size things up. Um, generally, when he does, though, it's he's going to size it up and make a mid-range jumper so you'll live with uh, the time going off the shot clock. But then the other thing I would say, look, their offense was great with James Harden. It, this is not a knock on James Harden, but the way James Harden plays, it's, it's methodical. It's slow. It's just it is what it is. It led to a lot of great offense. They were – you know, a few minutes away from beating the the Celtics in game six and, and moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals. So this isn't me trying to knock James Harden, but I just think with the way he is making quicker decisions, with the way that Tyrese Maxey is just running the offense quicker, the motion around him, 
um, the smarter, better players around him, uh, guys like Nicholas Batum, guys like Patrick Beverly, who just you know, are getting a, a guy like Kelly Oubre, who's an excellent cutter. Um, you know, I, I just think it, it's all everything. It, it's him. It's him being better. It's him making these quicker decisions. But it's also everything around him being so much better. Um, and I just think, you know, Mike, it's guys just grow up. I mean, we've seen it, right? Like we've seen him mature over his time here. Every year, I feel like he's gotten to be more vocal, more of a leader. Um, and you could see him directing traffic, you know, like a, like what Draymond does in, in Golden State, where he's pointing to guys, telling him, you need to be here. You need to be here. We need to figure out this spacing. So I just think taking on more of that leadership role um, has been a big thing, too. Yeah, obviously, you know, at 70 points, he had 18 rebounds. He had the five assists as well. Uh, I guess, you know, the question has now become, I mean, all right, he's played, he won an MVP. He's been awesome this year. He had nights like that. But is he done enough to make you covering them, watching them, change your outlook on how far this team can go? Uh, yes and no. I, I, I would like it. It's one of those deals, Mike, where like you can't really believe it till you see it, right? Like you're not going to fully believe it in, until they actually do, until he actually is able to get into the second round and win and get to the Eastern Conference Finals and, you know, for the Sixers' sake, hopefully beyond, you're, you're not going to believe it. But at the same time, you know, it takes guys, some, it takes guys a lot of bites of the apple to get there, right? I mean, it's not like, I mean, it, you know, LeBron, for as great as he was to start his NBA career, he didn't win it until he was in, you know, what, 27? And even then, he had to form a super team with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh in Miami. Like, uh, Kevin Durant had to go to Golden State. Like, guys all have, like, guys have had to do things. Um, to, you know, it, it's not everybody could be Steph Curry, uh, who's, you know, at this point, one of the greatest players to ever play basketball. So, um, it's just really hard. I think it's really hard to win. So I think that's a big part of it. But I think the, the good things, again, I, I think it's less about Joel. Um, and more about what's going on around him and how much better, quite frankly, Nick nurses than Doc Rivers were Brett Brown when Brett Brown was here. Um, how much better Tyrese Maxey is for him than maybe James Harden was or Ben Simmons was. And that's supporting cast. You're getting a better version of Tobias Harris. I know people, you know, are, are pretty out on Tobias and then I, I get it. If you're out on Tobias, I, I sort of understand it. But at the same time, I think he's playing some of his best basketball under Nick nurse as well. Um, and, and I just, again, the, the depth in this team, and not just the depth, Mike, the, the kinds of players, like I said, these smart, tough, playoff-tested guys around him, um, I, I think that's a big thing. But it's all it's really, though, Mike, it's going to come down to health. If he's healthy, you know, uh, good luck to whoever, even if it's the Boston Celtics, good luck to whoever has to go up against a healthy Joel Embiid in the playoffs if he can stay healthy. All right, well, let's look at that. Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers, some trades, some moves. The Bucks have fired their coach. Doc Rivers' name being prominently mentioned as a potential replacement there. Um, we saw trades. Indiana has made a trade. They got Siakam. The Heat made a trade today. They got uh, Terry Rozier. How deep is this Eastern Conference now? Um, you got Boston 1, Milwaukee 2, Philly 3, Cleveland, who's won 8 in a row. They are 4th. The Knicks, who've made their trade, they are 5. The Heat are 6. The Pacers are 7. And then you got the Magic Bulls, Hawks. So how difficult is this East going to be to navigate? It's not going to be easy, for sure. I mean, it's going to be way – even the first-round matchups are, are going to be much tougher – than we've seen in previous years. So that's not to say I think 
you know, a six is going to knock off a, necess- a three necessarily. I mean, unless it's like the Heat who just do what the Heat do. Well, and, right now uh, it'd be a six-three Heat Sixers. Right. right. Which I will, if I'm being frank, I, I you know, I think the Sixers will take over the number two seed um, and be the two seed over the Bucks. That's just what I believe. And I think when you look at those teams and what they've done, I, I, and if you look at their schedules remaining, it's kind of lining up for that to happen. We'll see. We'll see what happens. You never know. Uh, maybe, you know, like you said, Cleveland's been red hot. They're going to get, they're only going to get healthier um, as they get guys coming back. So, I mean, that they're going to be a dangerous team. The Knicks, uh, um, yeah, are noticeably better. Uh, they're, they're a really good team too. So it's, it's going to be whoever everyone has to play in the first round. I mean, I think, I think what it, what it emphasizes though, Mike, is, is that how important that two seed is. Um, it's going to, you want to play one of those playing teams with respect to teams like Orlando and Chicago. Like those are the teams you want to play. You don't want to mess around and have to play the Heat if they fall there. You don't want to mess around and have to play the Knicks who are just going to grind you out and play a tough, ugly, dirty series. Like those are the teams you don't want any part of in a first round series. You want to get that two seed and, and you want to set it up so that when you get to the second round, you, you're ready to roll and you're at, a, you know, a, a, you're healthy. And again, you're at a rest advantage as well. Yeah, this is uh, this East is starting to shape up. I know a couple weeks out from the trade deadline, but the fact that others have made moves way before make it more likely for you that Philadelphia has something happen, or do they just like where they are? I mean, from everything I've been told, it's they like where they are, and I, you know, you can't blame them. I think now, I, uh, I think the number, I think they're maybe twenty six. And six when Embiid plays this year, I mean that's that's an over eighty winning percentage. <laughs> like you can't argue with that result. And the wins are not cheap ones, you know. I mean they beat in Boston, uh, they beat Oklahoma City, which on the road, which to me that might be their most underrated win of the season. That OKC team's really good. Uh, they beat Minnesota at home. They beat Denver at home. So like they've beaten some good teams. Um, it, it, you know, so that record's not just uh, about them beating up on a bunch of bad teams. Again, despite some narratives that are out there. But yeah, I, I you know I, I I think what you're seeing, Mike, is they're going to be patient for a couple of different reasons. One, because like you said, they like what they have. Two, this is just Daryl Moore. This is what he does. He doesn't make trades early unless it's like a surefire superstar player he wants. He's not going to make a trade like that early. He always typically does it much closer to the deadline. And I think if you're the Sixers, you know. Uh, the, what I'm told right now, they're not in on DeJounte Murray. They were never really in on Zach Levine. So, like, who is that one kind of star player you're chasing? Like, uh, they were never really – like, I, I can see why they weren't really in on Siakam. Like, I, I don't see the fit there. Um, and, and, like, I, I'm not sure how in they were on, on an OB either. Seems like he really wanted to be in New York and wanted to resign there. So, I think with all that said, like, if there isn't that clear-cut guy that you want, why not wait? Wait till you're closer to the deadline. Prices will come down. Teams will want to move guys. And as you know, one big, big thing that Brian Tapork uh, from Liberty Bars keeps saying is that second apron in the new CBA, it is going to hurt a lot of teams. And a lot of teams are going to want to shed salary, whether it's at this deadline or in the offseason. So the Sixers are in such an advantageous situ- uh, you know, situation with the assets they have for a trade and then also um, the money that they are able to spend. 
I'll talk with uh, Paul Hudick from Liberty Ballers, Sixers. Uh, they get an epic performance last night from Joel B. An all-timer, six straight for the Sixers, by the way. Uh, they are off tonight. Uh, they'll play the Pacers on Thursday and then the rematch with Denver on Saturday. So uh, I would imagine we're going to get to see Joel play in Denver for the first time. What's it's like 2019 was the last time he played or 2018, 2019? Something like that, yeah. I mean, I don't blame them. But that altitude, man, I, I I wouldn't want to mess with that too much either. If you're even, if you have any kind of injury, just sit. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to to talk a little bit more with uh, Joel last night, but it was a cool. They had it on the TV for a while with him and Brett Brown, Covington and Brown, Furcon, like you know, just what Brown kind of meant to him because it was obvious when everybody else left, Joel and Brett kind of kept on talking, uh, and, and you know that relationship there. It, it's kind of interesting to see. How far he's evolved, really. You know, if you're Brett and you're sitting there, you're like, look at these guys now, man. Like, if I would have had him like this. But um, just I thought it was a cool moment that Joel showed his appreciation on a night like that. For sure. And, and I think it's it's way beyond basketball, right? I mean, it, it's personal because, you know, when Joel first came into the league and, you know, he had the uh, the, the navicular bone fracture in his foot, his brother Arthur was, you know, tragically killed in Cameroon. And... He didn't Joel didn't have anybody, right? Like he was he was in this country by himself and he just didn't have that support. And you know, Brett Brown was one of the people that was there for him. And Brett Brown was kind of like a father figure to him in some ways. Like, you know, he really helped them through the early stages of his career. Um and again, not just as a basketball player, as a human being. And then even as a basketball player, you look at, you know, a, a lot of what Brett likes to kind of impart to Joel was stuff that he learned from coaching Tim Duncan, one of the greatest big men to ever play basketball. So I think he really had Joel's respect. I think he earned that. Um, I I think with Brett too, I, I never felt like Brett was that bad of a coach. I've always felt like it was, you know, when he was let go, I think it was, it was the right time to do it just yeah. because I think it was more the right time to do it. Not because I think he was this terrible coach. Um, and even Joel acknowledged that. He said, he said, you know, Look at what Brett did. You know, it wasn't just me and Ben Simmons or whoever was like, he took this team that set a record, you know, set records for losing and he got us into the playoffs and he got us into the second round of the playoffs. He, you know, multiple 50 win seasons, which they hadn't seen since the eighties. Like it was, you know, he over, you know, he oversaw a, a, a transformation of Sixers basketball where no one cared, even when they were mediocre to the Doug Collins days, no one cared about the Sixers to then to the point where it became, you know, this this big deal where they were the at times the biggest story in the NBA. And right now, still to this day, at times the biggest story in the NBA. So yeah, I, I mean it's it is really cool. And I think it's it's pretty cool too to like as a basketball fan to see what Brett Brown did with Joel and how he kind of fostered him and, and nurtured his game. And now to see that Brett gets this opportunity with with Victor Webanyana, I think that's just like a really cool full circle thing. Well, it was fun last night. I'm sure the place was rocking. I mean, it was a weird dynamic, too, because the game, like, it was kind of at hand, but not at hand. And he's out there. And, you know, uh, Popovich can be a little prickly at times. Like, I kept wondering if he thought, like, hey, you guys kind of, like, uh, going to take him out of the game? Or are you guys going to keep handing it to him? But the game was like kind of in, I don't know, it was a weird situation. But the thing that was the funny, you know, uh, Maxie drives, he kicks at the house, house shoots a three and everyone's like, what are you doing, dude? But 
For Embiid to get to 70, that's where we talk about the efficiency. It's not like he was running layup lines here. He still has to make that shot, and he just had, he was unconsciously taking that foul line jumper, and he's just playing with these guys now. Now, it'll be interesting to see in the playoffs when, you know, Boston or somebody throws a double or a blind triple or something when Miami dials something up a little different. For sure, and that that's going to be that again. That's why Mike, like, you can't say with confidence. Oh yeah, like this is like this is the year. Joel's going to do it. He's going to turn her. Like you just can't until you see it against a team like a Boston um, or, or like you said, or you said like a Miami who's going to do some weird exotic stuff, throw a bunch of zone at him, and do a bunch of weird stuff. Um, I will say that I mean you, the assist numbers speak for themselves. I mean he's he's on pace to obliterate his career high in assists. Um, and again, that speaks to the environment around him. It speaks to the, the scheme that Nick Nurse is coaching, the players around him playing better and playing off of him better. So, I, and to get back to the trade deadline, I mean, this this is another thing that I think you're worried about too. Like every guy they have right now is playing so well off of Joel, and you risk if you bring a guy in here, uh, you risk potentially trading a guy that's playing well off Joel, yeah. and you risk bringing in a guy who maybe won't be. As oh, real real quick on that, because we're running short. Uh, of the three, I, I Rocco would be the one guy that maybe, but Morris and Batum, it's almost they've gotten to the point where with their salaries, I know they're easily tradable, but those two have almost got to a point where you don't want to just make them salary dumps. Batum, you, I mean, Batum at this point is... Yeah, I know you're is, a big would, Batum fan, and I don't question yeah. you for that, but I know you've really liked his fit. Yeah, he, I mean, untouchable would be ridiculous to say, but like he... He has become a pretty important piece for this team. Joel Embiid loves playing with him. He's their best entry passer, which is like we all know for years of watching the Sixers and Joel Embiid how much they've struggled to find guys who can simply throw a good entry pass at Joel Embiid. But not only that, Paul, it's what he can give them on defense that you don't need Embiid to play the big man the whole game. Well, that and, Tobias, and that's an underrated aspect of Tobias as well. That's what he's been doing lately. He's been guarding a lot of bigs lately. And that's what's crazy about Batum, Mike, is, like, he guards Wembenyama at times, and then the other night, like, you know, he's guarding De'Aaron Fox one yeah. night. Like, he's guarding Jamal Murray one night. Like, he he's taking on these defensive assignments. It is. It's huge. Um, so that depth. But, yeah, I mean, Marcus Morris, I think, you know, if there's a deal to be made, you know, I don't think they're afraid to trade him, but I think they would prefer to keep him. Um but yeah, but Covington, and it's a shame because his health is is just really, yeah. you know, Nick Nurse did not seem too optimistic that he's going to be back anytime soon, um, and he does make eleven million dollars, so that is a, a, a contract that I would not be surprised if they do make like a bigger move for a rotation piece. Uh, Covington feels like the most likely guy that would probably be included in that. Uh, Paul Hudrick, everybody. Liberty Ballers, Sixers off tonight. Pacers tomorrow. That should be fun. Uh, Pacers, obviously, Hal Burton uh, with the injury. You got uh, Pascal Siakam, but that's a up-and-down team. They like to get up and down, and you can hear it right here on 97.3 ESPN. Thank you, Paul. You got it, Mike. All right, Hudrick is always here. Now that the Sixers season is in full swing, we'll have Paul on the show. Don't forget our Sixers insider, Austin Krell, has his likes and dislikes from the Sixers win last night. I got some breaking news for you. One of his likes was Joel Embiid's 70 points in the game. More Sports Bash coming up. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. Hey, Mike Gill here wishing you can look at my friends over at Progressive Fence and Railing. If you are looking for something outside this winter season, spring season, summer season, how about giving them a uh, look at a free estimate? ProgressiveFenceAndRail.com. They can build you a nice stylish deck, maybe adorable fence. You know, you may be getting that new dog. got to get the dog fenced in in the backyard, let them run around. Maybe you need a railing. Maybe you need an awning for that front porch. Maybe some sort of gazebo or something to give you the magic touch in your backyard. Experience top-notch quality and impeccable craftsmanship, plus finance options that can fit your budget. It's easy to do. Grab your free estimate today. Visit ProgressiveFenceAndRail.com. I'm Mike Gill, and this is the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN. Football at 4 with Adam Kaplan coming up. 97.3 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. I give my heart and soul to this franchise as so many of us do. Now live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, this is Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Adam Kaplan, co-host of Inside the Birds podcast, you can find on any podcasting platform or on their YouTube channel. Just search Inside the Birds. It's brought to you by Bet365. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. Brian Johnson's out as the offensive coordinator. I don't know if we say a surprise, not a surprise, but I guess we can start with Adam Kaplan. Why did it happen? Why is Brian Johnson out after one season? Yeah, and I'm sure you know, tomorrow Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni will talk about it. As they'll be asked about it um, in their season-ending press conference. But I know there was some speculation, Mike, that maybe Brian Johnson could be reassigned. That was never going to work. I know some people were speculating that. I'm like, no, that's not. you can't do that. In season... Look, they could have fired Sean aside. We thought it was awkward that they kept him on there. He was kept on there because Matt Patricia was supposed to run the same scheme, and he made too many adjustments to it, and that that was a disaster. But with Brian Johnson, it's just kind of – you could call him the fall guy because this one – see, they they pinned it on him, the the Jalen Hurts regression. The offense didn't go south, but it was clearly not as good as last season. We all know that. It's one of the big reasons why uh, their season uh, kind of went south on them. Obviously, the defense was a big problem. But it's kind of like, okay, well, they they ran the same scheme. Brian Johnson couldn't figure out, and that's that's it's being he's being he's being pinned for the the offensive regression. It, it's a lot more than that. I, I I'm not saying in Brian Johnson's fault, uh, but there's there are a lot of reasons why this offense uh, regressed. It's not just Brian Johnson. If you want to pin it on him. The head coach has a lot to do with this. He didn't do a good enough job of, of understanding how you adjust. Um, and w- when, uh, when we're going to talk a lot about this on tomorrow's Inside the Birds, but when you see an offensive regression and you're the head coach and you're in charge of it all, you have to put a stop to it. You have to figure out what's what's what. How do you how do you stop it? And Sirianni never could do it, and that's that's not that's for people wanting 
Sirianni fired. If they would have done it, this is obviously one of the things that, that that's been not good for Nick is his inability to figure it out. That was very evident over that losing streak. Yeah, and, and I mean, I guess the follow-up would be, you know, is the offensive scheme, will it change? Is Sirianni open to saying, hey, so-and-so's coming in, and they're going to install their offense and call the plays? Because it's our understanding that if this is Nick's offense, that someone else has to call Nick's offense. Yeah, and I see that is the the only guy that could do it, and it's why the rumors are out there with Jim Bob Cooter, is because he was here two years ago. But the problem is, I don't want to say the offense is broken; that they still did a decent job in offense. But I, I just, I, I, and we're going to talk about the West Coast offensive stuff too, the pure West Coast, uh, which. We know the rumors about that. You know, we had some intel on this, which we put on our Monday morning show, but that's not a great fit either. There, there are certain things uh, that you've got to figure out how that would work. But to answer your question, Mike, if they're not going to run Sirianna's scheme, he's got to turn it over, and that guy's got to be able to run it whatever he wants. That, that, Nick needs to do a better job of handling stuff. This is As much as we give Sirianna a lot of credit for stuff, and he's got a good head coach, some things got away from him, and I, I don't think he really handled – you know, Mike, overall, if we were doing an overview of what happened, when things started to slide, it, it, I thought it got away from him. And a league source who um, used to work for the Eagles mentioned the same thing. He said that's where Nick really just did not do a good job of handling the turmoil. He's got to do a better job of that. With that said, then, I mean, I don't know. We talked on Friday. Are you somewhat surprised that Nick made it out of that? Like, what did he say that won Jeffrey Lurie over? Well, they had a plan. You know, they had a plan, him and Howie Roseman. Nick kind of presented, you know, his ideas on staffing and what ideas, what has to change. And I, the thing I, I, I love to know, because we, we, we knew about, you know, we put it out. We were one of the first people, if not the first, to talk about the Press-Taylor issue. That was going to be a problem because the quarterbacks, one of the, one of the things that the Eagles had a problem with with, um, with Doug Peterson was not only was the staff not good enough, but once his regression Nate Sudfeld, Nate Sudfeld, who they had really high hopes for, all the regression, and they just they kind of were they were kind of like, wow, this is not this is just not good enough. Well, here, Mike, when you when you look at it, Jeffrey's about points, and if he doesn't think it's going to happen, it it's not it's just not going to be good for for Nick. So I'm I'm very interested to see what happens here, going forward here, and not only what the staff looks like. But whatever scheme they run, we'll have intel on whoever the the, the OC is. We'll we'll have uh, intel there. And you know, the other thing is, you know, Hertz is they got to get Hertz back to where he was. Remember, they gave him the contract extension. Though they somewhat argue that they got a hometown discount based on the way Hertz played, which was incredible. Twenty two, he obviously regressed this past season. That's going to be that's going to be a big issue here going forward. Is about getting Hertz back. That's another thing that's on Nick, by the way. That's on him. Uh, we got Adam Kaplan here from the Inside the Birds podcast, and we want to get some possibilities, man. We want to know, uh, the listeners want to know, who who's going to be the next guy? Who are some guys that they could be interested in? Yeah, so we talked about on our show uh, Monday morning, Zach Robinson, who's interviewing for jobs. Uh, he is a passing game coordinator for the Rams. It, it, again, now this is the West Coast stuff. He works for Sean McVay. Eagles love what Sean McVay's done, that coaching tree, the Shanahan coaching tree. Um, keep it on Clint Kubiak, who's who's an offensive assistant, who was a former offense coordinator for the Vikings. Guys like that. It 
those are the kind of guys you're looking at. Um, we, we brought up Gerard Johnson, who's the quarterback's coach for the Texans. Gerard was actually here as a OTA quarterback many years ago. Really sharp guy. Was a highly maybe the highest recruited quarterback in the country when uh, when he went to Texas A and M. Like he's a guy to keep an eye on. And again, that's Bobby Slowick. Not that they could hire me, but he, he worked for Bobby Slowick as a quarterbacks coach, and of course D'Amico Ryan. So that that's it, man. I mean, there are other names that we gave, and we'll give more. But just to give you a taste, and you have to listen to our show tomorrow. We're going to have some more stuff, but. It's um, it's going to be fascinating to see that what, what what the scheme looks like, and, and and I think you brought up a great point. How much input is Sirianni going to have if it's not his scheme? Because he's a CEO, head coach. How much? How much? And what's the what's that going to look like? Because remember, Kevin Petula is this right hand guy who's heavy heavily involved in game planning. What's that going to look like? I'm very interested to see that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, is is uh, does Nick have the power? We don't know this. We might find out tomorrow to say, hey, I don't want this guy. He's got to run my offense, and we'll, we'll see. I don't it. think he would do that. I, honestly, I, I don't see that. I well, he I might not have surprised. the he might not have that uh, that big of a voice to be able to say that. No, but he's got. Listen, he's the head coach. I mean, Harry Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie could say, hey, this is what we want you to do. That's one thing. But with Nick being the – Nick's not going to call plays. I mean, we, we talked about this a week ago. It was one of the first things we put out there. You, you just It's going to be fascinating to see, Mike. I, I'm so interested to see how this thing's going to break down. Uh, let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball. Adam Kaplan from the Inside the Birds podcast. And obviously defense, uh, we knew for some time they were going to make some defenses changes. So a new D.C. is coming in. But, Adam Kaplan – uh, they had Gannon, the Fangio style. They maybe wanted Fangio, but that got kind of uh, oh, they road- wanted him. <laughs> that, that got roadblocked. So they ended up with uh, Sean Desai, who runs kind of that Fangio scheme. Yep. So are they stuck with that scheme? Do they want to stay there? We're hearing names like Wink Martindale, Ron Rivera, Mike Caldwell. I don't think they run the Gannon uh, Fangio scheme. Right. So, couple things here. So we we put yeah we we talked about Wink Sunday night. We know that there's some interest there. So I'm coaching sources told us that keep an eye on Wink, and you know we definitely said that. But here's the question: If you're Wink Martindale, and this is important because this is a little bit inside coaching stuff. So. And it could, it, it, it could be offense, too, if they talk to a veteran coordinator. If you're a veteran guy, knowing Sirianni's situation, knowing that he could be out after the season, are you going to want to move your family here? Like, that matters to coaches. Uh, this, this is an inside coaching. This is the way coaching, coaches think. So if you're a veteran coach, could, considering if, if they have opportunities elsewhere, yes, this – like, if you're an offensive coach, I get why you would be interested here. There's no, the, the, the talent levels hasn't dropped off at all. But if you if you're a guy looking at defense, not a great defensive roster. Uh, real major issues on the back end, Mike. I can't talk about that enough. There, there are real issues on the back end. And if you have options, are you really going to want to come here? So we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll and by Ron Rivera, a little little nugget for you. Ron Rivera, believe this or not, two years ago they changed their, they changed their coverages to basically what Fangio does: match, carry, deliver. Ron decided to do that because that's the trend in the league to go with more zone coverage. Uh, and, and, but and, and hand it off to the next guy. That that's what Seattle's done for years. I just found it interesting that Ron decided to do that. Like that was something different that Ron had not done. Um, and that may explain. Obviously, they know Ron. Uh, Howie might know him because when Howie first started, Ron was here uh, working for Andy Reid. A lot of people don't know that uh, as a linebackers coach. But 
um, and he knows this market pretty well. But that's something to keep an eye on. But they're looking for veteran guys, as we understand. Um, Jesse Minter is a guy I know they were very high on last year. I don't, I don't quite understand what happened. We never got an explanation about um, Jesse Minter, the Michigan defense coordinator, who, who if Harbaugh takes the Chargers job or the Atlanta job, uh, Minter could be his the, the replacement, so keep an eye on that. All right. Uh, so, you know, you mentioned the possibility uh, of scheme changes and how possible that is. We we just kind of threw some name possibilities out there. Um, but, you know, Wink Martindale would be a complete uh, philosophy change. In fact, totally. the, fans totally, would, and the fans would probably be on board with, with what he brings. But uh, what other possibilities do you think are out there? You know, it's one, one thing, Wink, it's funny. I, I remember when I told Jeff, I said, hey, we're going to go with this on our show, but I'm not going hard because I don't know that he would be interested, and I know they were looking into it. I, I and he, I don't, he's, he, remember, it was a mutual parting, so they don't have to, I don't, as I, I know he's gone, but I don't think, there, there's enough, they don't need to submit a slip. And he's out of contract because it was a mutual parting, which means, they might have made a settlement on the money that they own. There shouldn't be. A, there should not be a contract offset. I don't want to get too into this because it's a little complicated. But it would not be hard to, from a contractual standpoint to get him. But see, he he's he runs a thirty-four front, which the Eagles run. But he doesn't do the five-man front stuff, and he's about blitz, blitzing with man coverage on the back, the back end, where Todd Bowles is blitzing with his own coverage. So it's. Uh, <laughs> It's really fascinating. I, I look. He's an excellent coach. I know it was not a good season for him last year. There's no question. But the reasons there are always reasons. If you if you want to put context of stuff, you could find out why. I know there were injuries on the back end, and they, they don't really have a lot of good pass rushers. I'll be interested to see what happens here. I, I I would hope that he would interview, but I don't know the guy. So I been around him socially, but I don't really know him. But I know coaches who work with him. Uh, one in particular said he didn't. He, he wasn't really sure if he would he would interview. Said he. I'm sure the, the guy the the coach told me that look. He's going to look at everything that's out there, and he'll make a decision. But he likes Philly. He he said he he, he knows them very well because he's he knows the personnel, Mike, uh, on, on both sides of football. Because again, they went up against him for two, two years, you know, obviously twice a year, and plus that playoff game. Yeah, that would uh, that would be interesting. Ron Rivera, uh, any intrigue there? No, I mentioned that. So that that's you know, as I said, I'm not Mike, sorry, not Ron Rivera. Mike Caldwell is what I meant. Sorry. Yeah, I, I know that's out there. I, it, Mike got fired by the Jaguars. I know Mike. You know, we played here. Um, I, he, he now. By the way, he does run a thirty-four front. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does do that. You know, um, it, and, and one thing, a little another nugget for you inside football. You have to find out if you're a club. Why did, was the guy fired? Because you can't just oh, the guy didn't do a good job. Well, you got to find out. You, you can't just make blanket statements. Okay, the guy was the guy was fired. But you got to find. Sometimes guys who do a really good job, they're the fall guy or. You know, maybe they didn't. Maybe there was an issue with, like, that you don't know about. You, you have to. You have to ask these questions, Mike. But yeah. I, I my, Caldwell was one of I think ten plus coaches fired. But Press Taylor still there with the Jaguars. Yes. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, this is going to be interesting yep. uh, to yep. see how this evolves. Let me ask you before we get out of here tomorrow, Roseman Sirianni. Yeah. If if Adam Kaplan had the first question, could ask anything. What do you want to know? I would ask on Brian Johnson this, okay, because I, I, I was the guy who asked uh, Sean McDermott about, the, you know, the shark in the water one with Ernie Sims. That was my question. I'm not proud of it. But um, just I, I happened to ask him what he thought about Ernie Sims, and remember McDermott responded, you know, he, you know he's like a shark in the water, and that, that came back to bite me. Yes. Yeah, no pun intended. Very good. <laughs> uh, but exactly. But uh, 
I, what would I ask? I, I would go, hey, coach, you made it very clear that it was your scheme. Blame you. Well, why you? Why did you fire Brian Johnson? Why he's at, why is he out of a job? I mean, what what? Like, you know, and then the, the follow up would be, coach, you guys couldn't figure it out once people figured out your scheme. Where's part two for this? It would be hard for him to answer that because that was the issue that we were told by league sources that Sirianni and Johnson and, who, and whoever else was involved, they could not figure out what to do once teams figured out their RPOs and slowed them down. That's another thing we're going to talk about tomorrow. Um, I, by the way, give Ryan Rothstein credit. He asked a great question to Mosher yesterday. It's actually, it, it, we, we, you know, I told, I told Jeff we, this is what we're going to go. We're going to talk about the subject that Ryan brought up. Brought up. Um, it was in my notes from yesterday, and then I, I heard the interview this morning from your segment yesterday. And it was about, um, you know, yeah, it, it's this, this. Look, we know that they want to throw the football, but shouldn't it start with Hurts in the run game? That's another thing, Mike. They were dynamic at twenty-two with Hurts, as it, it really revolved around him and running. Well, why aren't we seeing that anymore? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think Hurts. In the run game was the biggest change from last year to this year. Terrible. I mean, it, it, I mean, I get it. Combined touchdowns, the number was great, but we we all have two eyes. You know, the, the people you know we, we watch, and it was not dynamic. I mean, let's call it like it is, Mike. The, the offense is at times hard to watch. And look at all the talent they have. This is not a talent deficiency here. Defensively, yes, particularly in the back end. But offense, to be honest with you, Mike, there are no excuses. This is this is. I'm, this is the one that fascinates me, not so much the defensive coordinator. I, I'm interested to see, that, you know, I've got to get out here in a second, but I'm interested to see who it's going to be on your point, autonomy, well, that guy of autonomy, and how things are going to change here. I'm really interested to see that. Yeah, well, and Adam, I think if you ask an offensive coordinator, hey, where do you think you need a talent upgrade on offense, he'd probably say, nowhere. I'm, I'm good with the offense you're giving me. Yeah, look, Mike, it's, that's not the problem. Not the problem. i got to run, my friend. All right, Adam Kaplan, everybody, from the Inside the Birds podcast. And, of course, uh, you can get that on all podcasting platforms. And on their YouTube channel, just search Inside the Birds. Mike Gill and the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. We've got uh, plenty more to come. Sound of the day coming up. And in the 5 o'clock hour, Jeff Kerr from CBS Sports over at CBSSports.com. He has five candidates for the offense and defensive coordinator positions that he has interest in. We'll get his take on that and what he would like to hear tomorrow from Nick Sirianni, Howie Roseman. And of course, we don't know the time on that press conference. Uh, if it is coinciding with when we are on the air, we'll bring it to you live right here on the Sports Bash. Uh, tonight we got Flyers hockey and some Flyers news regarding Carter Hart. Carter Hart has requested a leave of absence from the team, and the team has granted him this leave of absence. So we will see. He has taken an indefinite leave of absence for personal reasons. He requested it from the Flyers, and the Flyers have granted it. The team says they will have no further comment at this time. But just released about 10 minutes ago, Carter Hart has been granted an indefinite leave of absence for personal reasons. That means I guess you'll see Urson for a while in net. They brought up Cal Peterson. Um, but this is interesting because we know that Hart has been away from the team for reasons in the past. 
So could we be seeing the end of Carter Hart in Philadelphia? Remember, he was was him, Wentz, and Embiid, and, and Simmons. Remember, they were all kind of coming up together at the same time. Uh, also, according to sources, Doc Rivers is the top choice for the Milwaukee Bucks who have fired their head coach. The Bucks have fired their coach. And Doc Rivers could be the name that replaces him. More Sports Bash coming up. We have the perfect... For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We're sitting in traffic. You come with me. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. This hour brought to you by Broadley's Plumbing, Heating, AC, Broadley's your trusted source for heating and plumbing service installation for generations. Call them 609-390-3907. Visit them online at broadleys.net. We've got today's sound of the day. Looking at some uh, stuff from the Eagles and their issues. And, of course, uh, we got the Flyers tonight. Some quick Flyers news, as we told you. Carter Hart has taken an indefinite leave of absence from the team. Uh, for more, go to our website, 973ESPN.com. Kevin Durso has a story up now on the latest with Carter Hart. It's time for today's Sound of the Day. Also, Flyers have placed Owen Tippett on injured reserve. So, not one but two guys not available for the Flyers tonight when they play. Tampa you called Tippett a stud earlier today. We were before the show. You said stud. He is a stud. First of all, he might have had the goal of the season last yeah. week. Second of all, he has been very underrated as a goal scorer for this team. You, you could argue he should have been an all-star, too. Not just connect. Well, no uh, no Tippett and no Carter Hart. Hart. Two big blows going to the game tonight. Mike, you were talking about the Eagles in the last segment with Adam Kapital Football on 4. Well, just moments ago, Dan Orlovsky was on NFL Live. And one of the things they were talking about was the questions about the Eagles offense. You know, the there's a lot of fans out there, Mike, who are saying, great, you got rid of this guy in Brian Johnson. But Dan Orlovsky says there's more to it than getting rid of just Brian Johnson. He has other concerns with this Eagles offense moving forward. Before we could ever talk about like what's going to have to change, what's not going to change? Is Jason Kelsey definitely gone? Why didn't this offensive line perform nearly as well this year as it did last year? Mina's right. He didn't run nearly as effective. They didn't change the line of scrimmage nearly as much. But it was also because they stood there. And so I think that sitting here and thinking, I'm just going to hire somebody to call plays from the system that I want, you are behind, man. And teams are going to catch up when it comes to this league. Um, yeah, that's the case. It's perplexing to me that I would say you're hired to call the plays, but you got to call my plays. I've never heard anything in my life like this. Why is that? so? This whole thing is bizarre to me. It's like the whole thing of 
The Eagles win the game, but they're not happy because they want to throw the ball more. Who the hell cares if you won the game running 80 times or throwing 80 times? What's the difference of what the aesthetics of the game look like? And I don't understand how Sirianni could be the coach of the team and say, I want to coach the team, but I don't want to call the plays, but I want you to call the plays, but I want it to be my offense. That makes no sense to me. It's utterly perplexing. And, you know, one of the things I know Adam mentioned with you in the last segment, and they've mentioned on the Inside the Birds pod, is about, you know, the Eagles and the possibility of going more West Coast offense. And you heard Adam mention it just the last segment, you know, with you, Mike, about how you, you had the personnel to do that. Are you willing to upend this offense and bring in somebody that different if you're Nick Sirianni and the Eagles. Like, but was part of Sirianni's conversation with Jeffrey Lurie saying, Hey, my offense has problems. I'm going to bring in somebody different. Jeffrey Lurie saying, Yes, I like that idea. All right. That's a check mark for you. Or was part of the conversation Sirianni having to sell the idea that I didn't call the plays this year. We know this offense works. Let me go get somebody else. I would love to hear how that conversation went. Did did Lori say to him, hey, listen, your offense is not working. It's time to bring somebody else in to run their offense. Is it to the point where he says, or or did Sirianni say, quite frankly, Mr. Lori, I didn't want to hire Brian Johnson. You gave me, you know, you and Hallie are the ones that picked Brian Johnson. So let me pick the guy that, I feel more comfortable with. That is something that I feel has to be ironed out tomorrow is who picked Brian Johnson? Who's, who's hire was that? This year, the Eagles had the fourth most first downs in the NFL. Last year, they had the third most. This year, they had the eighth most total yards. Last year, they had the third most total yards. This year, they had the seven most points per game. Last year, they had the third most points per game. As you pointed out on Monday, Mike, and last week, you mentioned multiple times, it's not like this offense had a incredible drop-off. It's not like this offense went from, what is it, 28 points per game to 20. It went from 20 to 25. So is part of Sirianni's argument that, hey, we were still top 10 in all of these offensive categories. Let me retool the offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, listen. I want to see how this offense moves forward. If you have a coordinator who is, again, not getting to install his... Like, in other words, let's say Arthur Smith wanted to come to Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to come to Philadelphia? I've got A.J. Brown. I've got Smith. I've got Goddard. I've got Hurts. And i got a great offensive line. I can pretty much run any style of offense I want. Right. Why would I not want to come here? Oh, I have a reason. Because I don't get to run my offense. That's a huge demerit. It's probably the biggest demerit that I can think of. If you said to me, what is the biggest reason why I could not why I would not want a job. Well, I don't get to run my offense. I have to run someone else's offense. And I don't want my offense being the one. I don't want to be judged on his offense because guess what? That just got Brian Johnson fired. Right. And you heard Orlovsky say all the problems he has with the Eagles offense, how stagnant it was, how there was no movement on the offense, how there was no creativity. So 
if Orlovsky is seeing that, and Brian Baldinger has mentioned that on Baldy Breakdown. So if these are guys who are not playing in the NFL who are seeing it, what do you think coaches who actually coach in the NFL are seeing when they break it down? Listen, I, if I'm any coordinator worth their salt does not want this job under those terms. They just watch right. the guy get fired. And, like, I'm not so worried about if I can run my offense. The, you know, there's this thought of, like, the team performs poorly and Sirianni gets fired and then they blow everybody out. If Sirianni gets out of my way and I can run my offense, I almost feel there's no way that we're not going to be good enough because the offense has enough talent that I should be able to score 24, 25, 26, 27, 28 points a game with this team. Now, I can't answer for the defense, but, I mean, I would imagine the defense, I know it sounds crazy. When they were 9-7 and seven a couple of years, heck, when they were 4-11, and 11, you never thought that team was going to be even 9-7 and seven the next year. Right. And then they were, and they made the playoffs. And then the next year, you didn't think they were going to win 14 games and go to the Super Bowl, but they did. Like, I know right now it seems that the prize is so far away. Now, I don't know that they're going to be a Super Bowl team next year, but I wouldn't be shocked for these reasons. One, if they get these coordinators right, I think the schemes at the end of last year were so bad that it played a major role. Now, I think offensively they have enough talent to be a playoff team. Can they get enough talent on defense? I think they can. They've got... Three picks in the top 65, right? Pick 22, pick 50, and I think pick 54, something to that effect. And they've got like four or five fifth-round picks. They've got... Yeah, they're going to have at least four, it looks like. Right, so they have a lot of draft capital. I also think Roseman will be active in free agency. Because he's done it before. Targeting someone who will make a difference in the back end, whether it's a corner or a safety. They've, they've had that in their back pocket over the years where they have made the moves. I think they'll sign someone in free agency, maybe even a trade. So I think the defense can at least become competitive with the right coordinator. And again, really quick, it's because we've seen how we do it before. He did it from 2016 to 2017. He did it from 2020 to 2021, 2021 to 2022. He has shown you, Mike, the ability to retool this defense in one offseason, and they have success with that. Yeah, they they like I'm not sitting here right now. I know we had Sal Powell on Friday's show. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he said, quite frankly, he doesn't know if this is going to be a playoff team next year. And I said, whoa, like to hear that, it almost floors you. And the reason I, I was almost floored by it is because when you say that and when you sign the quarterback to that number and if you enter the year with a quarterback on that number and don't think you're a playoff team, that's a disaster. Yeah. So I think offensively they are a playoff candidate, no question about it. Can they get their defense back to playing? I'm not saying at a Super Bowl level, but at a playoff level. And right, I stop think they can do that. Right. Stop allowing 27 points per game. I don't think that's too much to ask. You know, give, allow 24 points per game. Allow 22 points per game. Just we're be not, competitive. That's we're all. We're not asking you to be the best defense in football. We're just asking you to not stink. Just be competitive. That's the like last year they played the last six weeks of the year non-competitive defensive football period point blank they played non-competitive defensive football can't win like that mike let's put over some positives 
from last night's Joel Embiid game. For those who didn't hear, uh, Joel Embiid, who one of his favorite players learning to play the game of basketball was Kobe Bryant. Well, he scored his 70 points on the anniversary of Kobe Bryant's 81-point game. This was Joel talking about the realization that he accomplished the Sixers' all-time single-game scoring record on the same day as Kobe's 81. From the time I started playing, Kobe was my guy. Uh, he's the reason why I started playing basketball. And it's funny because on the same night, you had 81, and you know, that was my favorite player. So when I started, I was the guys that I was looking, you know, I was looking up to, and, you know, they, they were doing all this. The Kobe, um, it's funny because nobody would sit here and look at Joel Embiid and say, what's the first guy who comes to mind when you think of, uh, when you see Joel Embiid and you say Kobe Bryant, but there are so many videos of him doing things. Um, there's been numerous people who have covered Joel and have said like, you know, Joel will watch film of certain players and then he sees them and he basically incorporates that into it. Like, Oh, where'd you learn that? Oh, I was watching film this summer of, uh, Dirk Nowitzki and I just figured I would try it out. Stuff like that. So, uh, it, it, but for him to say Kobe's the one who got him in, it's not surprising based on some of the moves and some of the, look, that elbow jumper, right? I mean, some of the times you see him do that reverse spin on the baseline. Like, he has had many things that kind of uh, revolve around some of the things that, that Kobe brought to the court. You know, someone who got to see Joel play early on was Bill Self at Kansas, and he was on SVP Sports Center last night. And Scott Van Pelt asked him, he's like, Coach, when was the moment you knew that Joel Embiid had this kind of potential? Like, what was the what was the time in practice or something? And I thought the answer was pretty funny. Take a listen. The first time I saw him practice at his high school, he got into it with some kid and he started chasing him around the gym. And I saw how <laughs> athletic he was chasing a little 5'10 guy. I told Norm, I said, he's going to be the yeah. number one pick in the draft. And uh, he wasn't. He was third. But, uh, yeah, he, he's a different talent. He would have been first if he didn't have the injuries coming out of college. Yeah. Remember, he had some, he had a back problem that people were concerned with, and then the foot problem yep. that people ultimately passed on him. Remember, people forget at Kansas, he never played in the tournament uh, because he had the back problems. Correct. So we never really, you know, college basketball is a whole other topic and a whole other story, has just gone down the crapper, if you will. <laughs> It's a shame the players don't stay. There's no stars. We don't know who these guys are. But Joel at college, I mean, if you ask most people, do you even remember him at Kansas? And I think a lot of people would say, not really. I mean, he was kind of nondescript career. I mean, he was there at the same time as Wiggins. And remember, it was winless for Wiggins. People yep. wanted Andrew Wiggins because in college, he was the star scoring player. And so, now it's the opposite. Now Wiggins is the guy that the Warriors might not keep anymore and then beats the superstar yeah I, I mean going back when bill sell said that i mean you saw a guy i mean there's some stuff like joel i read the book um uh what's it tanking to the top the uh you're on weitzman and there's a whole chapter about him and you know he didn't know anything about basketball he's playing soccer and yeah, I mean, the guy barely knew the game at all for him to be where he is is Quite amazing when you think about it. Like when you just kind of sit here and say, this guy right now is the MVP of the league and scored 70 points in a game last night. And here 
what he was doing. Like, think about your friend's kid and the amount of ridiculous AAU basketball tournaments they're playing in and all these basketball things they're doing all summer long. And Joel and B did none of that. Really, I mean, he, he maybe towards the end, but he wasn't, like, doing it when he was in, like, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. He's not playing. You put it this way. Joel Embiid's parents aren't posting his kid scoring 12 points uh, on Facebook. <laughs> like, he, he didn't know anything about it. And here he is. He's dominant, And he's dominating your kid. In my mind, when I heard Self give that story about Joel just randomly chasing some kid much smaller than him around the gym, I went in my mind back to last night when Joel Embiid walked by Wembayama and he looked at him and saw how big he was. He just was like, okay. Like, kind of look at him, like... Giving them the side eyes, he walked by behind him. I'll be honest, back. I don't know if you saw that video or not. Yeah, but it was so funny. So like, I I see that personality of Joel, and I think about him chasing some random kid around a high school gymnasium in high school. It's just it it matches up. It's who his personality is too. It is, and Joel, I think you're seeing him mature and grow and. Kind of uh, becoming an evolving player and evolving is a great way to describe it. Just a lot of the things that he does. Um, yeah, I, I, before, I mean, he still likes to joke. He does the chop. He does the X, the, you know, all that stuff. D-Generation X. Yeah. I, I, I'm a big fan of that. You know that. I, I love the fact that uh, <laughs> Triple H and Shawn Michaels offered to pay his fines. Yeah, and he did it the other night uh, kind of quickly. He, he didn't get fined. Not enough to get fined yeah, for it. He only did it once. Yeah, he didn't do it four times. He still has that little goofiness in him. You heard... Um, uh, Colin Thompson earlier in the show was yeah. on and he said he was out at a bar one night in Philly. Now, Joel does not drink. Yep. And he said he wasn't drinking. He's just hanging out and, you know, he's playing video games and, you know, he's just kind of, but I think you're kind of seeing him evolve from the goofy kid who, you know, to kind of more of a leader and more of a give me the ball. Like, you know, there's times where we would say, and now I don't know this is going to happen in the playoffs, where he's got to demand the ball. And I think you're starting to see that a little more. I think a big part of his maturation before we move on, Mike, is when he became a father. It, it feels like that was the moment that he went from Joel the kid to Joel the man. Yeah, big time. I think that's been documented as well. Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN. This hour brought to you by Broadley's Plumbing, Heating, AC. Broadley's your trusted source for heating and plumbing service installation for generations. Call them at 609-390-3907, broadleys.net. Coming back, are the Sixers the Ravens? We'll explain on the other side. More Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Nail salon and grocery store. Wait, she's at the nail salon and grocery store. I'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store. Groceries through Instacart delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store. With Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, Sports Fast Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Mike Gill with you. Uh, earlier today, Carlin versus Joe. 
Joe Fortball made an interesting comparison when thinking about the Joel Embiid 76ers. He compared them to the current day Baltimore Ravens. Take a listen. We just did this with Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Lamar's playoff history, one and three. Will that matter this year? Some say no, some say yeah, it could be a thing. Right, these narratives. For Philadelphia, it's been very similar to Lamar and the Baltimore Ravens. The inability, after putting together highly successful regular seasons, several years in a row, the inability to get anything of substance done in the playoffs. They're always good enough to win in the opening round against an inferior opponent. And then the second they step up in class to someone who's even with them, slightly below them or slightly above them, they just can't seem to get it done. How much of that do we consider this year? Because if you're just looking at this year, the blind resume of this team is quite impressive. So that was Joe Fortinball today. You know, he talked about how Lamar Jackson hasn't been able to get over the hump. One in three in the playoffs. Hasn't been able to get over the hump. Finally had, you know, he had that MVP season. And now he's even followed it up with another MVP season. But is it this MVP season that's the one that finally gets him over the top? And I think, you know, we talked about it before with Paul Hudrick this hour for Joel. And a lot of players. Look. It took LeBron, what, eight seasons, and he had to go to Miami to do it. Now, you might say he needs to get out of Philly to do it. Maybe that's the case. Giannis Antetokounmpo, it took him, what, eight seasons to finally do it. He did it in Milwaukee. He didn't have to leave Milwaukee. Some of these guys, when they're younger players and they're immature or they're just not ready, they're just not ready. Are we looking at kind of a marinated Joel Embiid? Has he kind of been sitting in the crock pot now for seven seasons? This is only his eighth season in the league now. I think we forget that. He missed two full years. So this is his eighth season, just like LeBron, just like Antetokounmpo. I think Jordan took eight years. Very few players. Yeah, Magic did it early. But guess what? Magic had Kareem handed to him. Here you go. Microwave yourself. You get Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Joel Embiid didn't get Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and certainly didn't get Magic Johnson, right? He got Ben Simmons, who, unfortunately, people thought could be Magic Johnson, but never lived up to it. So you got Joel Embiid and his merry men for the last couple of years, and he has kind of drugged this team with others. Believe me, they've had talent on this team. But when people look at this team and why they haven't won, it goes back to Joel Embiid. And what Fortinball said there is, hey, look, Maybe this is Lamar Jackson's time that all these losses and all of that stuff finally got him to the point. And we'll see if Joel can get this team over the hump. The way he's playing right now, what's going around in the East. We just talked about it today. Firing in Milwaukee. They're going to get a new coach. And some people believe it's going to be Doc Rivers. A lot of people think Doc Rivers could be the new head coach in Milwaukee this year. He had trades today. Terry Rozier, he goes to Miami. We had trades last week. Uh, Pascal Siakam, he goes to Indiana. We had trades a month ago. OG Ananobi, he went to New York. The East is all putting together their run. What is Philadelphia going to do? That's going to be big, and you know we'll be on it right here on the Sports Bash Live. Hey, coming up, Jeff Kerr over at CBS Sports has... Five candidates for the offensive coordinator he wants to see, the Eagles talk to, and five on the defensive side he wants to see. Plus, 
What does he want to hear from Roseman and Sirianni tomorrow? That's next with CBS Sports NFL writer Jeff Kerr right here on The Bash. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, everybody, welcome back. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN as we hit the 5 o'clock hour here. Latest on the birds and what could be next. Brian Johnson, he's out. Sean Desai already out, so they need two coordinators. Nick Sirianni going to talk tomorrow along with GM Howie Roseman. Jeff Kerr, the NFL writer from CBS Sports, is here to give us some thoughts on how the Eagles could replace these positions, what he's thinking, and more. That's right now on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Jeff Kerr, my friend, what's up, buddy? Uh, Mike, yeah, th- things are crazy with the Eagles right now. That's all I got to say. It's I'll just get this off my chest. I don't mind what they did an offensive and defensive coordinator, but I still think the problem remains. All right, so let's go right there then. You believe Nick Sirianni, it sounds like, should have been gone with everybody else. I feel like you're delaying the inevitable right now. Look, I I get Sirianni's track record is what it is, and he deserves to be retained as head coach, but just over that seven-week stretch, I saw nothing that Nick Sirianni could do to get them out of it. And – the players are supposed to police the locker room. At least that's how – that was the culture Doug Peterson installed. So Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Jason Kelsey. When you got your star receiver who's a captain on this team, not one to speak for two weeks, and then just goes AWOL after he speaks for the first time in two weeks, I'm not getting on A.J. Brown for anything here, by the way. I'm just saying I, I think that's a problem. And I, I think – Nick Sirianni nor the veterans could rectify that. Jeff, obviously uh, you got Sirianni who had this meeting last week. It, it, it appears that he saved his job. Uh, do we think this was similar to the Doug Peterson thing? Like, hey, you need to make changes. Or do you think he sold them and saved himself? Yeah. It could be both, Mike, um, honestly. But I do think they told him you need to make changes. And I think he was more than okay with doing so because it seemed like him and Brian Johnson down the line or Brian Johnson, Jalen Hurts down the line or Brian Johnson was calling the middle between Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts. And, I mean, defense is going to get changed no matter what. But Nick Sirianni isn't a guy who likes to make a lot of the changes on the coaching staff. I mean, how many changes did he make his first two years here? Mm-hmm. Not really any. So. Well- I, let, let's get into uh, Brian Johnson. He was let go. Um, weird situation. He's up for head coaching jobs. Do you think that Sirianni, that Brian Johnson was his guy? I don't think he was his guy. I think he was Jalen Hurts' guy. I think he was Jeffrey Dory's guy. I think Jeffrey Dory really liked him. I thought Jeffrey Dory brought him in to help out Jalen Hurts in 2021. I think now, does Nick get to pick his guy again? I mean, we kind of promoted Brian Johnson by default, right? So their ideologies didn't clash. Seems like a weird situation. It you is. gave the guy, he didn't work out. Now you want to fire your guy and you want me to do what? Find my own guy, listen to you, tell me which guy to bring in. This is a weird situation now. So, it Jeff, is. you wrote about this over at CBS Sports. So let's go over there. A couple coordinators that you think they should consider. 
Well, Eric Bieniemy be my top choice if they go the veteran route. If that's if they go the veteran route, which I think they're going to do. And look, I thought Eric Bieniemy did a pretty good job in Washington compared to what he had. And everybody likes to go, oh, you know, Washington, they were a disaster. I'm like, so we're just going to ignore the five years he had Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City and have the Chiefs' offense took a major step downward most of the season without Eric Bieniemy. I mean, are we going to ignore that? So I like what Eric Bieniemy has done with quarterbacks, and I know Sam Howell. I don't think Sam Howell's that great, but for a stretch of the season, he looked like he was going to be a franchise quarterback until the wheels kind of fell off and the turnover. And again, that's not Eric Bieniemy. So I would like to see him. I think Frank Reich is definitely a possibility. I, again, I mentioned him in there, but if we're going for the younger route, the younger guys, the guys with no experience, which again, I don't know if the Eagles are going to do, T. Martin from Baltimore or James Irvin would be my choice. Um, all right. So you got, is Bianami available? I mean, he signed, he went to Washington, but was that only a one year deal? That's what I'm not sure of. Uh, I'm assuming he's available because Ron Rivera was fired and that's Ron Rivera's guy. Now he did interview to become the commander's head coach. So they could pick him, but. Yep. I mean, he is available. I mean, yep. he's there. He's there for the taking. It's kind of like, um, uh, I'm trying to think who was, um, uh, Ryan Nielsen, who actually went to Jacksonville, uh, the mm-hmm. defense coordinator, like, he was available because the head coach got fired. Yeah. Uh, the enemy would be interesting. Uh, Frank Reich, you mentioned as well. I mean, obviously that's ties to Sirianni. Do you think Frank Reich's the right guy to bring back here? We know Philadelphia loves the nostalgia and the reunions. You obviously say, think he's uh, a guy you listed him in your article, but um, I don't know. I, I'm kind of lukewarm on Frank Reich. That's how I am too. Like, did he really do anything to make Bryce Young better this year? Uh, did he fix Carson Wentz? I mean, look, 2017 was awesome. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I really do like the job him and John DiFilippo did with Carson Wentz back in 2017. But they weren't able to replicate that success outside of that year. Um, but he does have a relationship with Nick Sirianni. It's someone Nick can confide in. He does do well with the younger quarterbacks. I mean, you do have to give him the benefit of the doubt there. So... I, I guess if he wants to run Nick's scheme, it'd be like a role reversal, honestly, because Nick right, worked, got, yeah. Reich was his boss, then it would be the other way around. Sirianni would be Reich's boss this time around, which yeah, is an Nick, odd scenario. Yeah, and Nick ran Reich's stuff, so you're kind of bringing that that formula back in if that's how you want, and then you want someone the head coach to team. I, I still say, as much as everybody likes getting the offense, the defensive coordinator one is the one I'm most intrigued by because. I really do think the Eagles could sincerely benefit from getting a guy like Ron Rivera in there. All right, uh, Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports. So they need an offensive coordinator. He gave you a couple options there. Obviously on defense, Sean decides out. Matt Patricia will not be back. They need a defensive coordinator. On this side of the ball, there has been a couple names linked to the Eagles already. The offensive side has a few as well. Jim Bob Cooter's name has been kind of thrown out there, but doesn't seem like a realistic one. But on defense, there are some names that people could be aware of. Ron Rivera, Wink Martindale. Uh, so those are just two of the names. Uh, Mike Caldwell. So what do you like on the defensive side of the ball from any of the names you're hearing, or is there somebody else? You notice that there are guys that value the linebacker position, Link Martindale, Ron Rivera, Mike Caldwell, as you mentioned. They all seem to value positions that the Eagles haven't valued. So maybe the Eagles are going under uh, organizational change in how they run their defense. Uh, Wink Martindale is definitely a feast or famine type hire. I mean, he was a good defense coordinator in Baltimore. He got the most out of what he had in New York. 
I think it'd be intriguing. I think that's a fan's choice, but I think Rivera would be a really good hire for them just based on his history with the organization. He was a really good linebackers coach for them, comes under the Jim Johnson scheme. And look, look what Ron Rivera did when he was a defensive coordinator. He did great with Chicago. He did great with the Chargers. Sally got a head coaching job. Everybody wants to look at the job Washington did. I'm like, you guys know Ron Rivera was like Nick Sariani in Washington, right? He was more of an overseer of stuff. He wasn't hands-on with the defense. That's just his background. So that's something that I'm curious if Ron Rivera comes back to be a defensive coordinator. Does he go back to the Jim Johnson methods? Does he develop linebackers again? Does he develop younger guys? I mean, look what Ron Rivera was able to do for a guy like Sean Berryman in his career. That's exactly the, the person you want to kind of replicate there if you're Ron Rivera. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't been a coordinator since 2010. Um, do you get concerned at all? Um, you know, so many people talk about how the game has changed and he hasn't been a defensive play caller. He does seem comfortable though saying, you know what? Maybe my head coaching years are behind me and I'll just go back to running a defense. So do you get concerned that the game maybe passed him at all? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it has been 14 years, but it's not like he's been out of the game for 14 years. He has been coaching defenses, and Carolina had a good defense for a while. I just don't think Washington had the personnel, especially when they traded uh, Montez Sweat and Chase Young. They really didn't have the personnel. So, yeah, it, it, maybe a different situation will, will help him and him focusing on one side of the ball and being a play caller. I, I mean, I still think the leader of men thing speaks a lot of volumes, which I don't know if Sean Desai or Matt Patricia could honestly put on their resume. Okay, Jeff, you got uh, – and by the way, on the defensive side of the ball, with names like Wink Martindale, Ron Rivera, Mike Caldwell, does that signify to you a change in philosophy on defense? Do they have been a John Gannon uh, who's from the Vic Fangio, Sean Desai, same tree? Does this say that, hey, we're kind of done with that style? Yeah, I think so. I think they're done with that. Uh, look, you saw Vic Fangio's defense get torched in Miami this year, so I don't think it – I, I think the whole Vic Fangio style's going by the wayside, or at least the league has adjusted to it. I mean, it was a nice five-year run there, but I think it's time to move on uh, from that. I think the Eagles are going to do so, Mike. But uh, one thing I am really curious of, too, with these hires, are the Eagles an attractive job right now with Nick Sirianni's kind of a lame-duck coach? Yeah, it's a good point by you because if you're tied to Sirianni and he doesn't make it, then are you then apt to go out? I would ask the question, is this job attractive if you're an offensive play caller? I don't know. Does the offensive play caller have to run Sirianni's system? Because the personnel would be attractive. But if I'm a play caller, I don't want to call Jeff Kerr's offense. I want to call Mike Gill's offense. Exactly. And if you want the title, I guess it's beneficial. But – Brian Johnson got the title, and now look at him. He's unemployed. So, and he had, what, three head coach interviews, and actually, technically, at two, Carolina requested the interview, and they decided not to. Yeah. Which is probably a telltale sign of Brian Johnson right now, but he's got to restore his NFL coaching career, which is, which is a shame because last year he was a star in the making. That's what everybody oh, kept telling really, me. He's really in a tough spot with this whole situation. You know, he gets made the coordinator, I don't know, in large part because of his relationship with Jalen Hurts. I mean, is that why he got this job? And what's Hurts' reaction to now Brian Johnson getting fired? You think Hurts is okay with it? Um, That's a great question, man. I, I mean, on the surface, you would say, if they had this relationship, you would say no. 
But I don't know. I mean, some of the stories that are starting to come out about Hertz now feels very reminiscent of the Carson Wentz situation. I was told it soured the, the relationship. So maybe Jalen Hurts is okay with that. And look, I, if Jalen Hurts thinks the way Jeff Kerr thinks, anybody who makes Jeff Kerr worse isn't a friend of Jeff Kerr. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's Jeff Kerr from CBS Sports. Um, what do you want to hear from Roseman and Sirianni tomorrow? Is there something that you need to hear them say? I would like, and the Eagles will never answer this, but I would love to get a question in and ask them, who is making the decisions? Is it Howie Roseman? Is it Nick Sirianni? Who will be making the decisions as the heck? And I know the answer is it's a collaborative effort. Yeah, okay. Hmm. All right. Well, I don't know that we're going to get that answer. <laughs> I don't think we are. I don't think we are, Mike. Um, you know. I asked this question after the playoff game. The, the question I wanted to hear Monday night was, Nick, did your team quit on you or were you that unprepared? That's the question I, I wanted. I, I, that's a million-dollar question. and it, it did not get asked. No. And, you know, did Nick look at it and say, our team was so poorly coached and that's why we looked the way we did? Or did our team just quit? Because I, for what we saw over the last six weeks was unprecedented. Yeah. By the way, Mike, this is what bothers me as someone who was an athlete, current coach, you're a current coach, about Jalen Hurts. Why was Jalen Hurts a leader until week 13 of this year and all of a sudden he's not a leader? How does that work? You know, it's funny you say that because when things are going well, you are leading, things are going well. There hasn't been a lot of turmoil in – now, I know the stories of him getting benched and all, how he handled it. But when he has played, the teams he's been on have all been title contenders. Um, and this streak of bad games is probably something he's never really had to deal with all that much. That's what I said. It's never happened to him this way. And, again, I do agree with some of the stories that are coming out. He isn't exactly that approachable. But I think that's enabled by the franchise that's well, employing yeah. him. You know – Obviously, um, you know, when this started to get a little rocky, I did, I did bring up on the show, Jeff, that, hey, you know, you want to hear some different things from him, not just the standard is the standard and this, like the main thing to me, you know, the only different quote we got was you don't know what you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Well, you, and you can't keep this same stoic attitude and, like when the rest of the team is looking for someone to kind of make them feel confident again, he did not do that. So this is what always bothered me as a football player. And again, this is high school. I'm just talking about high school. I'm not talking about the pro, but this would bother me too. When, and you know, always know people are going to get special treatment, whether you're a quarterback or whatever. There's no reason why I should be able to approach two quarterbacks in that locker room and not the other. Oh, sure. I, I mean, that's, that's what bothers me as a report. Like, yeah. well, and you know, I know the whole thing was downplayed between him and Goddard, you know, on the sideline. Goddard yeah, yeah. was kind of, but just the aesthetics of Hertz sitting on the end of the bench against next to a staffer, not with his players, not with anybody else. He just looked detached from the team and he always has that look on his face. So it's hard to read his body language when he always has that body language through the good times and the bad. And sometimes, uh, 
they were talking about this the other day on Greeny's show. Hembro brought up the, the case. If you can't show joy in times of joy, yeah. right? Like true. it's true. Yeah. It's like, like they, the team was 10 and one and it's always good to say we have bigger goals. We're looking at bigger, yeah. but you can't keep that same demeanor when all of a sudden the yeah. team yeah. goes one and five. So, um, I actually have a real life example of that. Uh, I coached basketball team a couple years ago, Mike. I think it's, I mean, I, I was still on with you at the time. This is my first year coaching. This, this school did not win a basketball game in five years, right? They won a game. They played, it was a varsity team, but it was a bunch of JV kids. We won the game. First win in five years. The kids were not excited. Coaches were thrilled. We did something that no one thought we could do, win a basketball game. They, they were not excited. I said, guys, that's why you lose. Right there. I go to Oxford the next year. We win a basketball game for the first time in three years. And it was the third game of the year. You might as well have thought we won the Super Bowl. I mean, those kids were going nuts. Yeah. Well, listen. And we only won two games the whole year. I think that Hertz was a steadying force for this team last year that didn't expect a lot of I don't think they expected a Super Bowl run. And to have his steadiness, I think, helped them not get too high because there were a lot of questions. Are they for real? They're not playing anybody. And I think his demeanor did help them last year. But now there was expectations. And when the expectations started to get chipped out a little bit, I think they needed a shift in his demeanor that wasn't there. And look, he needs to learn from that, and maybe he will, maybe he won't. But I think the big question is, and we brought this up yesterday, Jeff, and we'll leave with this. You look at this Eagles offense. Where do they need an improvement? Where do they need an upgrade? And why is it unfair to say, you know what, maybe needs to be upgrade is the play from the quarterback. Because what player on this team do you want to say, I don't want that guy at that position anymore on offense. Probably nobody. So I said this to myself. You're running back as a pro bowl. Okay, don't start talking to yourself all the time, Kerr. <laughs> <laughs> as long as I don't answer myself, Mike. That's right. But you're running back as a pro bowl. The running game did get worse. But how much of that is because the quarterback was injured? And I want to add this on with the quarterback, too. You can't tell me Jalen Hurts had a good year this year. Not straight up. I still think he's a good player, but I don't think he had a good year. He threw for a lot of yards, had a lot of touchdowns, but the turnovers really hurt this football team. And some were. And Brian Johnson isn't throwing the football. Here's Nick Sirianni. Yeah, well, Jeff, we looked at this the other day. Um, The the stats across the board – for the Eagles, points per game down three, but you know, pretty much everything else was everything in the league. Everything in the league was down this year too. So, but the points per possession was key. Yeah, like the, they, they went down seven tenths of a point. Yeah, yeah, that, well, that's huge. The, the offense did take a step back, but I didn't. My point was, it wasn't a precipitous drop off. You know, they didn't go from twenty eight points a game to twenty. They they dropped the field goal. They basically lost the field goal. They ran almost the exact same amount of plays. They had almost the exact same amount of yards. I mean, they were off like, you know, it wasn't crazy. Do you think we're talking about this like we do if the defense was a top 10 defense? Good question. Was their offense good enough 
that if they had a really good defense that they would. Yeah, I think so. Like, you know, if you said, now, we talked about this the other day, if you gave up 17 points in all three playoff games, you'd probably be in the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, no. Their offense only scored nine points in the playoff game, so maybe I'm wrong on that. But I think over the full season, if their defense was better, the offense, yes, they would have they they would have been a more successful team. I, I, I honestly think the last... I'll say the last two games got Brian Johnson, uh, is why Brian Johnson's not back. Uh, Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports, more on the Eagles offseason. Don't forget Sirianni and Roseman tomorrow. We'll have full reaction to that. And of course, at Jeff Kerr, CBS, uh, the NFL offseason is here and we're covering it on the Sports Best. Thank you, buddy. Well, the NFL offseason for you is here, Mike Gill. Uh, I still gotta go to cover an AFC championship game. This I will be at the Super Bowl, my man. I will be in Vegas and hopefully you will be there too. Uh, I will. I'm hoping so. <laughs> we'll take you to get a beer, and we'll order a pizza to the to the bar. Works for me, man. Hey, by the way, I really do want to go to the Super Bowl. Like, like last year, I was excited to go. This year, I'm more excited to go to the Super Bowl, just because it is in Vegas, and that'll be the first out of three trips I'll be making to Vegas in six weeks. So I've never been to Vegas before. This will be my first time, and yes, we will be in Vegas for Radio Row Super Bowl. That starts in a couple of weeks, and you can hear all the coverage right here on the Sports Pass. That's Jeff Kerr, everybody. This is the Sports Pass live on 97.3 ESPN. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mike Gill. And I am the voice of the voiceless. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. If you're running an offensive system in the NFL and it doesn't have multiple personnel groups, multiple formations, the ability to change motion and play action, you're behind. It's not 2016 anymore. It's 2024, and Sirianni's system, at least from what we saw this year, doesn't major in that stuff. That hurts this football team. Yeah, it hurts the football team for sure. So who are some of the coordinators on the list? You just heard Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. You mentioned Eric Bieniemy. I mean, if Bieniemy is available, you got to interview him. If Arthur Smith's available, and apparently he is taking offensive coordinator interviews, seven teams have reached out to him. You've got to be one of them. If Mike McCoy's available, I would imagine you've got to make a call there. I think he's available. And uh, some of these other veteran play callers that I think can maybe push back at Sirianni a little bit and say, look, your offense just doesn't have enough creativity. I don't mind this play and that play and this one that you run. But as a whole, this thing's like Tecmo Bowl, and I'm on Madden 24. I mean, seriously, uh, I think what Orlovsky said right there mapped it out pretty well is, yo, if you're still running your offense that you learned in high school or Division three college and you're trying to run at the pro level, not working. Look, we saw Chip Kelly with a very innovative, quote-unquote, style of offense. It wasn't all that innovative. It just was nobody was doing at the pro level. And then once the pro team said, hey, I figured out what you're doing, he couldn't evolve out of that. Somebody had texted him before. We talked about Chip Kelly. You know, the, the offense worked great with Michael Vick. 
right, when they had Vic, and then Vic got hurt, and, you know, it didn't work as well. You, you can't have an offense that only works with one quarterback. I mean, then you got a problem. You, if you can't tailor it to a different style of quarterback, then, hey, you have a great offense for that guy, but you don't have a great offense. You have an offense that's great for one guy, not other guys. And unless you have the unicorn quarterback for your system, it's tough to win like that. So, like, you have to be able to – well, this is what's interesting about the whole Sirianni thing. He's in Indianapolis, and he's got different quarterbacks. They had a different quarterback out there almost every single year. They had Andrew Luck. They had Phillip Rivers. They had Carson Wentz. They had Jacoby Brissett. You had a multitude of quarterbacks that you had to design an offense for, and they're not all the same. I mean, you you have a guy in, in Andrew Luck – who could run around, he can make plays with his legs, he can make plays with his arms, he was a mobile guy. Philip Rivers was statuesque. He didn't move at all. I mean, he was cemented to the ground. So you had an offense for a guy like Luck, you had an offense for a guy like Rivers, and you can't run the same offense for both those two. I mean, you can theoretically run a lot of the same verbiage and plays, but they have different styles. So if you're bringing in a new coordinator here, I think you got to ask somebody who has some head coaching experience on top of the fact that he has some offensive background that's different from yours. Because at some point you could say, look, I have my offense. I like what my offense does, but I have to start evolving it. I need to get somebody else who has a different group of opinions in here to kind of further my offense. It's like Joel Embiid. You had a great array of offensive talent. But I needed someone else to pull more offensive talent out of me. And now you're seeing Joel Embiid go from Brett Brown to Doc Rivers to now Nick Nurse, where Brown got him to so far. Then Rivers took him a little further. And now Nurse is taking him to the next level. Nick Sirianni, if you want to stay, you've got to pull more out of this offense because we have Joel Embiid-like talent on this offense but you've got to pull it out of them. They might be hitting the plateau, and you can't have that happen when you got A.J. Brown, 1,400-yard receiver. You can't have that happen when you got Smith, a 1,000-yard receiver. You can't have that happen when you have a quarterback making the money he has. They can't plateau. It reminds me, Mike, of a pitcher who never learns how to throw anything but the pitches he's always thrown. It's like... Remember when Jose Lima came up and he was like the biggest, you know, rock star for like a hot minute? Well, he never got better. He never evolved. He never grew and he became predictable. Yeah, it's the kid in Little League who throws gas and then he gets to the big field and all he does is throw hard and he has no off-speed pitch. Eventually, people are going to start timing your fastball and they're going to start hitting you around. You have to have something else. You know, you have to show, even if you can't throw it over the plate, you've got to throw show Show that you can throw something different. Otherwise, they're just sitting there waiting for fastball all the time. And right now, the Eagles offense is the 13-year-old kid who throws, you know, 78, and now he's 14, and he still throws 78. And guess what? 13, 78, you're going to throw the ball by him. 14-year-old is catching up to 78. And by the way, 13-year-olds are starting to catch up to 78. So you better have a second act. Nick Sirianni... His offense needs to have a second pitch, and right now it doesn't have it. And we're not saying you you don't need to completely change the entire offense, but 
There's nothing wrong with putting something else in there. Put an I-formation package. Put a... I-formation. Jeez, what year are we going back to here? Well, I mean, you know, we have a lot of running game now in the NFL with Kyle Shanahan, for example, and Dan Campbell in Detroit. So, you know, look around the NFC and AFC championship games. If you're a Sirianni, you're telling me you can't take something from those guys? Of course you can. I mean, now the question is, like, those teams have fullbacks. Do you want to add a fullback to your team? Do you want to take up a roster spot or if for a you're fullback? Like and by the, the way, where are you finding a fullback? Well, for example, the Ravens, they use Isaiah Likely as their fullback. He's our tight end. They basically they basically motion him back into the backfield and be like, hey, bro, you can block at the tight end. You can block at the fullback. I wouldn't use bro in this situation. Sure. You should probably shelf that one. All right. <laughs> uh, Shaner and EHT. Shaner, I love you, man. But do Staley as the new OC I'm out on. Bring in Matt Burke for defensive coordinator. These are two guys that have been here before. I don't know why we are always so infatuated with bringing guys back who were here, then went somewhere else, and got let go by those other places. Well, Matt Burke's still working in Houston. He's a defensive coordinator. Yeah, but why? So then, why would, why he, would he come leave? here? Yeah. Well, I guess he doesn't call the defense there with uh, with um, D'Amico Ryan. Ryan's. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I mean, not that I I don't think there's a bad relationship down there. So yeah, I mean, but if he's not calling the defense, no one's saying there's a bad relationship. But if he gets to call the defense mm-hmm. here as opposed to not call it there, he's just the coordinator. That's a different. I don't know how you work the coordinator of a defense, but you don't call the plays. Yeah, you're not a works. coordinator then. You are. I don't, what, what are you? You're a game planner. What's the What's the title that you would give the person? You're not the defense. Like the defensive PowerPoint presentation presenter. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how that would work. Do Staley? I, I have no interest in being the offensive coordinator. Like less than zero. I, I know Deuce, great dude. No interest there. Um, he was in Detroit. He got let go from Detroit, right? He did. He got let go by Detroit. He went to Carolina with Frank Reich, and then when they cleared out the whole coaching staff, he was among the guys they purged. Yes. Yeah. So, I, you know, look, Deuce, great kid, a uh, great guy, awesome eagle was here. I don't know why we always want to go back to that guy. Look, I will be frank with all of you. I am never for the Chase Utley being the manager. Seth Joyner being the defensive coordinator, like that guy, I'm not just bringing those names up. Former, like really good players generally don't work out as coaches. Mm-hmm. Now, Matt Burke, not a great player, but doesn't excite me as the defensive coordinator. But he still counts as a bit of a retread because he was already here. He was here, yeah. Uh, he goes on to say, Shaner, your, your second point is, oh, is cool. He says, use your picks to vamp up the defense. Trade up for Brock Bowers. Now, that's interesting because he mentioned Dallas Goddard's the same age as Ertz was when they drafted him. So I do think you got to start looking at the next Goddard. But here's the problem. You just said use your picks to ramp up the defense. Trade for Brock Bowers. Then you're trading picks to move up to get Bowers. So right. you're, you can't do both. You can't use your picks to vamp up the D and trade up for Bowers. You can only probably do one or the other. Unless Brock plays defensive end, and I don't know about it. Where do you think now, mock, um, uh, Mel Kuyper? Mel Kuyper had his mock draft out today. Did you see where Bowers went in the draft? I did. He was number five. Yeah, you ain't getting up to number five, uh, Shane. I'm, I'm not, I thought, I figured he'd be 10. I didn't look at the whole draft. I figured he'd be top ten. Five to the Chargers. You said that he went five. That's, I mean, pretty darn. I, I was reading. End. Yeah, Mel's thing and was that he he expects Jim Harbaugh to be the Chargers head coach, 
and he envisions him drafting Brock Bowers. So this is my first time looking at the the Mel mock. Um, and you know me, I love a mock draft. You're not a big mock draft guy. I mean, I, I enjoy the conversation with mock drafts, but I don't get as into the each mock as you do. Yeah, I mean, I don't place any considerable value on them, like, because this guy has them going there. It's basically what they feel needs are and what they're hearing around the league. But I, don't, I, I think they're fun, and I like to have fun. Sorry. Call me crazy. I like to have the conversation with you about the mock drafts. I don't personally like to dig deep into the mock drafts personally. So Chicago Caleb Williams. I'm going to stop right there and say I wouldn't do that. I am not a fan of Caleb Williams. I could be wrong. He might be the best quarterback of all time. He's got great all the stuff. I don't like the makeup of the kid. That's all. There's red flags for you, right? Yeah, I mean, in years past, I didn't like Bryce Young because he was too small. You were very strong not, on that point. Not a big fan of him. Uh, I thought Tua was going to be not a franchise quarterback. He's kind of been about what I thought he'd be. I mean, he's very good, but hit, my problem with Tua was I didn't think his durability. Well, your problem was that people thought he was like A+. Plus, people and you thought, were like, I don't see A+. Plus. It was tank for Tua. Put it this way. I'm not losing. I'm not wasting a whole season to get Tua. Is he better than Andrew Wiggins? Yes. <laughs> I'm not losing a whole season, though, to get Andrew Wiggins. I'm not losing on purpose to get two, is my, was my point. Yeah. Um, Caleb Williams, look, I hope the kid proves me to be wrong. I just don't like the, the way this has been handled. He doesn't want to play certain places. Uh, he didn't want to play in, like, I, I just don't like it. All right. I, I mean, he might be awesome, but if I'm the Bears, I have way more. I, I'm starting to build i'm starting to get close right now you might say i'm just a quarterback away i don't know that you're just a quarterback away i think you have a quarterback your other spots away i like fields yeah you need some help on the offensive line you need some help with the receiver position their defense is pretty good how about you have some stability before you go and blow it up again at the quarterback well and here's the problem this is the problem and this is why the bears have to take the quarterback you're at the spot with fields where you were with hurts you have to pay them so do you want to pay him and then ruin your cap situation or take the quarterback and get him on the rookie deal? Or you could trade down out of the spot. Yeah, but you're still paying Fields to be the quarterback. No, but you could draft another quarterback. Well, I mean, now it depends on where I'm drafting uh, down to. Sure, but Trading if, you're out, down to. If, if you're out of number one, at least you're taking the, the, the Caleb Williams hype out of your hands. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, but... You, you, where are you going to? You drop into okay. So he's got Jaden Daniels two to Washington. I personally love Jaden Daniels. He's got Drake May three to New England. I like don't love Drake May. So top three picks are quarterbacks. So you would have to maybe move down to two or three if you want to get a quarterback. I would say maybe trade down to three. Uh, Marvin Harrison four Arizona. I could totally see that. I mean, they need offensive talent badly. Um, Brock Bowers, five Chargers. Again, the theory is that Jim Harbaugh will be the Chargers head coach. So he would want that kind of guy. It'd be a great spot, though, to have him with Herbert. Herbert. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be a great pairing. Uh, Malik Neighbors, the wide receiver from LSU to the Giants at six. Giants certainly need wide out. That would be very bad for the Eagles. Um, Joe Alt, Notre Dame tackle, Tennessee. Standard. 
Well, they got new coach coming in there. Callahan likes a good offensive line, though. You saw what they did in the Cincinnati. They rebuilt that offensive line over a couple of years. Yeah, Brian Callahan's the new, uh, the Bengals uh, offensive coordinator is the new head coach in Tennessee. Yes, sir. Uh, Dallas Turner, outside linebacker to Atlanta, which would be, you know, uh, they need a quarterback. So could they be a team that would be in play to make up. the trade up? Or if I'm Atlanta, I, I probably am in the, the free agent market trying to get a veteran quarterback. Kirk Cousins? I mentioned him yesterday. Uh, what about Fields? That would be interesting. Now, here's the problem, though. If you hire Bill Belichick, Belichick doesn't have a great history of quarterbacks. That's young true. Quarterbacks. So, if you're if you hire a Bill Belichick, do you go then presume you're going to go to free agents of a young quarterback? Yeah, that one. The the Atlanta thing is dependent on who they they hire. Um, all right, Chicago has another pick at nine. That's another thing. They have two picks, so they're two in the top ten. Um, the wide receiver from Washington, um, uh, Roma Duze, who I like him a lot. He's very good. Very good. That would be a pick that Chicago needs. We said they need some wide receiver oh, help. Oh, they do need receiver help. The Jets at 10, offensive tackle from Penn State, uh, Ula Fashanu. They need some healthy offensive linemen for the Jets. No brainer there. They need offensive line. Uh, Nate Wiggins, Clemson Corner, Minnesota. A little higher than I expected, but I can totally see that Minnesota is trying to revamp their D. Uh, Latou, the outside linebacker from UCLA for Denver. Now, Denver's got all sorts of issues. They might need a quarterback. Denver need, Denver's a lot of needs. I don't know which one would be the top need. <laughs> um, well, they might need a quarterback could be the top need, and they're Maybe. not going to get one at number 12. Uh, Terry and Arnold, Alabama, Vegas. That sounds like a move that Antonio Pierce would endorse. Brian Thomas, wide receiver, LSU to the Saints. That would be interesting to pair him up with Olave. That would be a great tandem. They're, they're two wide receivers who would probably complement each other very well. Keon Coleman, wide receiver, Florida State to the Colts. Wow, that would be... Uh... An interesting play because now you get him across from Michael Pittman Jr. Mm -hmm. And Anthony Richardson should be back if you're excited about him. I mean, he played very little this year, so hard to get a read on what he brought to that team. They almost made the playoffs with Gardner Minshew. I know, right? Uh, Seattle at 16, J.J. McCarthy, quarterback Michigan. Don't like that pick. I I think J.J. McCarthy is incredibly overrated. Like, I, I am the J.J. McCarthy, how you feel about Caleb Williams. I don't understand the Well, hype. I think Caleb Williams could be really good. I just think it's going to be other things. McCarthy, I'm not, I don't think is on the same level of really good. I don't even think he's a first round pick. Yeah. I, I think this is a guy who's been overhyped by the fact that he was on a team that won the national championship. Uh, 17, Cooper DeJean, corner. Um, for, I, I like this kid to play possibly safety uh, from Iowa. If you ever watch Iowa play, yeah. you see this guy all over he's the place. He's everywhere. Yeah. He, he's. He's a Mister Everything. He he. Um, no, he did break his leg. He's like a kamikaze. He's kind of like a uh, better version of Reed Blankenship. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's just anybody plays everywhere. Corners, safety, he can slot. play anything. Yeah, yeah. He, he and and put it this way, he played defense for pick? Iowa, uh, Jacksonville. That's interesting because Jacksonville just brought in what's his name, the guy who used to be the the Falcons defensive coordinator, uh, yeah, Ryan Nissan. Ryan Neeson. Neeson, yeah. 
Uh, Cincinnati, J.C. Latham, offensive tackle, Alabama. We know they've had some line issues. Yep. Rams, uh, Jared Verse from Florida State, defensive end. They need some pass rushing big time. Yep. We saw that was one of their problems uh, this year. They they And they had some young kids playing defensive end for them this year. Yeah. Uh, but, you know. They, Those they, kids aren't versed, though. Uh, Lassiter, the uh, defensive back from Georgia, number 20 to the Steelers. That would be a steal for the Steelers. Uh, and, of course, they got Joey Porter last year. And they hit on him. Uh, Miami, um, Troy Fatanu, the uh, guard from Washington at 21. Miami needs some offensive line help. We saw that. They had a lot of injuries this year. Yep. And then coming up next at 22, I'll tell you who he has the Eagles taking. And then we'll round out the first round in Mel Kuyper Jr.'s first mock draft here on the Sports Bash Live. Pick 22. That's the Eagles. We'll tell you who he has there coming up next. Or you can just go to our website, 97.3ESPN.com, to find out who it is. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, we're wrapping up Mel Kuyper Jr.'s uh, Mock Draft 1.0. We're at the Eagles picket number 22. Um, where do you think they're going? I would go defense, but I mean, it depends on who the defensive coordinator is going to be, right? Well, they have no coordinators at all right now. Uh, Talesi Fuanga, offensive tackle, Oregon State, and I'm sure I butchered his name. I just hope they draft him so it messes up Billy Schwein. Fuaga. Fuaga. Yeah, he is a big dude. Uh, for those of you who have, uh, he's kind of like I call a, him a stud? Uh, he, he would be um, probably, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. He's an offensive tackle who played a lot of right tackle. So are you replacing, is you is he the replacement for Lane Johnson down the road and he plays right guard for two years? He's athletic enough to do it. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, they've said that he could probably, he started 25 games at right tackle for Oregon State. He could play inside, it says. He's a powerful uh, run blocker, dominant run blocker, powerful hand. So, like, this guy's 6'6". He's a, he's a monster of a man. He can pull, too. If you ever watch him on the pole running play, he gets out there. So, uh, offensive line, I don't think that's going to excite people, though. No, but I just hope it happens so it messes up uh, people like Billy Schwan's ability to say his name. Uh, Jerzon Newton, defensive tackle, Illinois for the Texans. That's a Cleveland pick, by the way. Dallas, Jordan Morgan, offensive tackle, Arizona. They need help on their offensive they line. They definitely need that, yep. Uh, Kingsley Sumataya, offensive tackle, BYU. Good job. Packers. Uh, yeah, Packers, they need uh, Bakhtiari is, is shot. Yeah, he's cooked. Uh, Chop Robinson, defensive end, Penn State to Tampa Bay. Add another uh, piece to the offensive front. Tyler Guyton, offensive tackle, Oregon to Arizona. Uh, Adonia Mitchell, wide receiver, Texas to Buffalo. They probably need some wide receiver help now. You're starting to see Diggs get older. Gabe Davis is a free agent. I like Mitchell a lot, too. He's really good. Troy Franklin, wide receiver, Oregon to Kansas City. Uh, Quinion Mitchell, 
cornerback Toledo, Detroit. That's a name you're going to hear around the Eagles, I'm sure. For I've seen him in mock drafts to the Eagles. I've been reading a lot of mocks. His name has come up a lot. Uh, Enos Rextral Jr., cornerback from uh, Missouri, going to Baltimore and San Francisco. By the way, this is in case San Francisco wins. These aren't set yet. Amarius Mims, offensive tackle, Georgia. So it looks like the Eagles aren't going to take a Georgia player this year. Maybe. We'll see. Mims could be in play at 22. That's my show. Josh has game night. Kevin Durso with the latest on Carter Hart coming up in 25 minutes. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.